Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, December the 6th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Good morning, Freehold. Good morning. Everything good? Yes, everything uh, good with uh, for you. <laughs> I'll speak Mark, for me Mark, and I'll say yeah. yes. I don't Mark. know about Freehold there. These northern aggressors are just not as pleasant as we are in the morning. <laughs> I mean, they just aren't. Well, they're not as as pleasant as we are by nature. Mm. Um, 843-661-0937. I don't know that we have any sports to talk, right? I mean, for the last, what, 10 or 11 or 12 weeks, we've continually on, um, on the early morning shows, particularly on Monday, recounted what has happened in the brave season, um, the, the college football season. The only thing going on now is the NFL. Uh, I guess the world cup. It's kind of interesting. Um, Babylon B had an article. Now America can, now America can stop pretending it cares about soccer like it does once every every foot. We <laughs> fake as if we really care about soccer. Right. People go buy jerseys and you know they'll get off early on an afternoon to watch us play um, in Qatar, play the Ecuadorian national team. Um, Did I don't get really it. get off early. But to I, mean, watch I, that? I don't understand it. I mean, once again, anything that you. Um, Anytime you backward pass, that's a bad sport. And there's too many backward <laughs> passes in uh, in soccer for me. Way to back. Well, I mean, the field's too big. There's too much flopping, and there's too many backward passes. I mean, give me forward passes and give me um energy moving um uh, forward. We got an election today. Um, I did look at the betting markets this morning before we went on the gear. Um, right now it's 89.3 percent likely that um Dr. Warnock is successful in Georgia. I really and truly can't make heads or tails of this. I mean, I just honestly can't. I went back last night pretty extensively and did somewhat of a uh, post-mortem of the 2022 midterms. I mean, this will put a bow on the 2022 midterms. I mean, this is the last election left for making sure we have, you know, a majority in the House, a majority of the Senate. I mean, th- this will all happen in January, but I can't make heads or tails about, you know, why. I mean, I'll give an example. Um, 3.5 million more voters in 2022 than 2018 for the Republicans. 10.3 million fewer voters for the Democrats in 22 as opposed to 2018. The reason I'm using 2018, that's a midterm. I mean, there's going to be a smaller and lesser turnout in the midterms than there are in the generals. So once again, the Republican number up 3.5 million, the Democrat down 10.3 million, but the Republicans didn't meet their marks. I mean, they just didn't perform as well. It's kind of interesting. I looked at some of the um, some of the polling data that um, Pew has. Fifty nine percent of Republicans, excuse me, fifty nine percent of Americans believe that something happened in twenty twenty that may or may not have caused Donald Trump the presidential election. They're careful to use the word cheating, but fifty nine percent. I mean, that's a big number, guys. I mean, anytime you get north of fifty five. In politics, I mean, it starts becoming abundantly clear that the consensus of the public are believing one thing over the other. So 59% believe that something happened in 2020. And here's the interesting language that cost Donald Trump the presidency. I think they, they were very coy in not using the word cheating because mm-hmm. people just don't like to go down that road. I don't know, man. I, that thing's behind us. It's done with our cheating. You know, whether they cheated, we cheated, somebody cheated, somebody's always cheating. You know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a... um. It's a less than savory word that we uh, insert there. Um, 
The Trump candidates won 224 of 241 primary races. That stands to be, I mean, that, that's, that's reasonable. Trump's a wildly popular figure in the Republican primary voting ranks. So the, um, the Trump endorsement of the Trump-blessed candidates won 224 of 241 primary races. Now, these were not all endorsements, but these were uh, candidates who ran in line, very much in line, sympathetic to the America First political movement, um, would welcome any association with former President Trump. And, and once again, that's a big deal in the primary. But let's go to the general. 208 of 254 Trump-associated. I didn't say endorsed, but Trump-associated candidates were successful there. So when you look at the data, when you say 59% of Americans believe that something didn't make sense in the 2020 election that may have cost Donald Trump the, uh, the, uh, the, the win, combine that with... Um, with, you know, Republican turnout up three and a half million, Democrat turnout down 10.3 million, Trump endorsed candidates winning 224 of 241 primary races and 208 of 254 general elections. Um, what happened? Well, what had happened was, um, <laughs> the best I can uh, discern is the Republican Party, and this is another interesting data point, there's not a single ethnic group that the Republicans didn't increase their um, numbers with um, African Americans, Hispanics, um, Asian Americans. Um, the Republican did better in 2022 than they ever have with Hispanics, ever have with African Americans, ever have with Asian Americans. They gain ground with women voters. Remember some of the suburban, the soccer mom vote. They got destroyed in two categories. And maybe this is the answer. Uh, I don't know that you could dig that deep. I mean, you can make some correlations, but it's hard to really say, well, this is what happened and this is why it happened. But um, single women, the Republicans lost by 37 percentage points. Now, we can blame Lindsey Graham and federal legislation law um, and voters under the age of 35, excuse, yeah, by 30, they lost by 36 points. So single women and voters under the age of 35 are wildly um, in favor of Democrats over Republicans. And I mean that doesn't surprise me. I mean it really does. I would doesn't. go to abortion and possibly student loans. Student loans. I mean you're right. I mean that, that well, I mean, th those are the central issues that we believe were relatable um, to to those subsets of the electorate. But um, so how do you address that? I don't know. I mean I really don't. And it looks to me like Walker loses today. So when you take those data points, but if somebody come to me, I, I'm a bit. I mean I'm a bit studied in politics to some degree. I'm gonna. Uh, more on the candidate side than I was the organizing and, and running campaigns. But, I mean, I've run campaigns before, been intimately involved in, you know, what it takes to win, um, where the candidate lost. If you gave me those data points, I'd be convinced that there's no way the Republicans don't win the Senate and have an overwhelming majority in the House. So the question I pose to our listeners and, and yours truly as well, what happened? I mean, what happened here? Once again, um, GOP voters up three and a half billion from the last midterm. Democrat voters down three, uh, 10.3 million from the last midterm. The Republican Party does better with every ethnic and racial um, demo in our country. By that, I mean um, up with Hispanics, up with African Americans, up with soccer moms, up with um, married, uh, I mean, every subset across the board. I mean, they did better everywhere. The only two demo. They lost ground in, and I'm talking about college-educated females, college-educated males, college-educated white females, college-educated uh, white males, college-educated African-American 
uh, females, college-educated African-American males. Not, not significantly better, but better nonetheless. College-educated African-American females went from about 7% to 8.5%, but it's still the, the upward trajectory. The only place they lost was, once again, single women, and they lost it by 37 percentage points. And then, you know, voters under the age of 35, they lost by 36 percentage points. But if you've given me those data points, I mean, I would have said there's no way Walker loses in Georgia. I mean, there's no way Masters loses in Arizona. There's no way Laxalt loses in Nevada. There's no way Oz loses in Pennsylvania. I mean, that, that, those data points lead you to believe this is going to be genuinely and sincerely a red wave. And it was not. But I mean, it just simply was not a red wave. So what happened? And, and I still go back to this new age of American politics where polls, historical trends, messaging, issues, candidate quality, um, what, what we'll refer to as traditional get-out-the-vote efforts, um, debates, uh, voter persuasion. I'm talking about advertising and marketing. Um, mean almost nothing. It's all about ballots out, ballots in. I mean, how many ballots did we mail out? How many ballots did we get back? Because the one thing these polls don't reflect is the the um, the unlikely voter. I mean, the majority of this polling is likely voters. And, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We're turning unlikely voters into very likely voters by, you know, some of these laws and states. Cause, That's the harvesting. Well, I mean, that, right? absolutely. No okay. question about it. The harvesting in particular in Pennsylvania, um, Nevada, and, and Arizona. The first time since 1950, the state of Arizona has a Democrat governor, Democrat secretary of state, uh, two Democrat senators for the first time since 1950. Um, so when you look at the tailwinds, what you would anticipate, I mean, if you gave Robert Cahaley this data, and said, Robert, what is most likely to happen if the Republicans are up 3.5 million, the Democrats are down 10.3 million, the Republicans do better with Hispanics, the Republicans do better with African Americans, the Republicans do better with married white males, married white females, married black males, married black females. What is likely to happen? I mean, Robert would say, I mean, we'll probably pick up 35 to 40 seats in the House and probably four, maybe even five seats in the Senate. None of that happened. In fact, we're going to lose probably net one Senate seat. I mean, that looks to me like where it is. I mean, the, the wise guys who make, I mean, you can't bet on American politics in, in the good old U.S. of A., but you can in London, and some of the London betting markets have Warnock right now as an 89.3%. There's an 89.3% likelihood that um, Dr. Warnock is going to be um, not a special election senator, but rather someone for a six-year term, that's a bad day for the Republican Party. When somebody as radical as Warnock is able to win in Georgia, now, once again, candidate quality, and we'll get to that in just a bit. Um, I can't make heads or tails of this. On one hand, but as Randy Travis says, but on the other hand, it, you know, it's, it's real conflicting and confusing uh, the more you try to understand a lot of this data pointing. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. It's real easy to understand, kids. If it don't make sense, the only thing that does make sense is they figured out a way to get the election. And instead of being an unlikely voter, how about call them an unverifiable voter? So, you know, what they'll do is they got enough unverifiable votes that, are, that will get counted, sit there in the damn bag, how many we need to win. And they'll keep counting until they get enough to win. And they talk about voter. We, we, you know, why are the Republicans worried about 
how good our candidates are, look at their damn candidates for a change. I mean, is Warnock really that a better candidate than, than Walker? I mean, if you look at that, that Brody, I mean, he is a moron. And every candidate they would was a moron. So, it not, but that being said, it wouldn't matter to the Democrats. They could have run a chimpanzee or a circus elephant, and they would have still voted for him. But the, the, here's another thing that I don't understand. You say almost 60% of the people think somebody went on the election, right? 59% of Americans, not Republican voters, 59% of registered voters okay. in America believe that something right. happened to cost Donald okay. Trump the 2020 election. And, and we've been getting told since the election, hey, man, it's a bad idea. The Democrats are telling us, y'all better quit being the next election deniers. Don't be an election denier. You know, so what they really wanted was a Republican candidate to get on stage and say, hey, guys, I want everybody to know Trump got his butt whipped. It was a fair and honest selection. We need to just suck it up and accept that loss and move forward and win now. But 60% of the people you know, think that it was something funny going on of Americans. So why would we sit there and take the Democrats' advice? And I don't necessarily believe anything I hear now. I don't believe so that, that, um, that so if, if 60% of the people believe something went wrong, and I tell them, hey, guys, something seemed funny about that last election. I can't really pinpoint it, but it don't make no sense to me. And if it don't make no sense to you, maybe somebody did a little bit of cheating there, boys. And they you tell me, because I said that, that all of a sudden these, a guy like Fetterman's going to win the election? Just because I said something that 60% of the people agree with? That don't make sense either, kid. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Well, think about the 60%, though. What percentage of Pennsylvanians? What percentage of um, South Carolinians? What percentage of uh, Wyomans? Uh, what, what percentage of Arizonians? I mean, that 60% across the board number, I mean, it includes Massachusetts, New York, California. What percentage? And, and I think you've really got to. These are where the national polls are so misleading. I mean, it's really about, what, five or six states. I mean, they, you know, it's not Ohio and Florida anymore, but it's all of a sudden North Carolina and Georgia. It's Nevada. It's Arizona. I mean, that, those are the battlegrounds for national elections now. Um, I want to go back to Breeze's point because I actually made a couple of notes. You know, is the abortion issue important? Yes. Is the um, candidate quality issue important? Yes. Um, is is lawlessness and inflation important? Yes. Um do, do we have to consider whether or not there have been some extreme America first candidates on the ballot um, that that kind of, you know, moderate Republicans and independent voters in America um, find difficult to get, uh, you know, to be in support of? Yes. I mean, all that matters, but it had everything to do with numbers. And I'm not talking about inflation numbers. I'm talking about ballots out, ballots in. I mean, that's what we've got to accept and appreciate that in these five or six swing states, yeah, inflation matters. Yeah, abortion matters. Yeah, lawlessness matters. Yeah, yeah, candidate quality matters. But they they, they pale in comparison to what the real uh, numbers are. And, and it's not inflation numbers. It's not unemployment numbers. I mean, it's how many um, ballots were sent out and how many ballots were collected and who collected those ballots. I mean, that's what we've got to just kind of um, I mean, just accept as reality now. Talking about college football yesterday and NIL and Transfer Portal. I don't know if you saw this or not, but about what, 600 kids entered the transfer portal yesterday. 
I mean, basically 600 college football players declared themselves free agents. I mean, I'm on the market now. Anybody interested? Now, there will be some get their feelings hurt because there won't be a lot of interest in those kids. Um, I guess you saw Jaheim Bell from the Gamecocks. I did. Declared. I did. Expected that. I mean, I would expect that. I mean, he's never been real happy there. And his family in particular yeah. has never been real happy it there. was a little shocking. Well. Because he, he was finally getting some touches and did a well, great job. That doesn't job. mean anything to him. It's about the money. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll assure you the money, you know, whatever school is willing to pay um, this family's kid uh, a reasonable amount of money. I mean, that's just the nature of where we are today. And that goes back to my point. Um, college football historically has been the, this nostalgic experience of, you know, the student athlete. And, um, you know, we cheer for the home team. And I mean, it's not like that anymore. It's a business. I mean, the NIL and, and Transfer Portal have accelerated the, the, the notion or idea that it's a business. But, but it's the same thing in elections. Once again, all of these things matter to some degree. I mean, abortion matters. Inflation matters. Crime matters. Candidate quality matters. But none of this matters. Like the numbers of the number of ballots that are mailed out and the number of ballots that people collect. And that is ballot harvesting. That is the new age of American politics. Um, you could elect a random name in a phone book. Um, you could nominate a dead man. I mean, imagine that. Pennsylvania did. I mean, a dead man in Pennsylvania. And you could argue a, um, a stroke victim who has trouble communicating got elected in a state. Why? I mean, did Fetterman win that election? Did he earn the right to go to the Senate? No, he didn't earn the right. He, it was impossible for him to earn the right. And if you want to use a better example, a dead man. I mean, how can a dead man earn the right to go to the state house? How can a dead man earn the right? He doesn't have to earn the right because that's not the metric that applies any longer. It's not about the traditions of American politics. It's all about who, who gets the ballots mailed out and who collects those ballots. And I go back to, to what I argued before. I want to see scrums in nursing homes. I mean, I, I just think that it's time to get churches involved. It's time to get gun shows involved. Um, harvest wherever it is legal to harvest. And if it's not legal to harvest at gun shows, then make it legal. And let's, let's get ballots in people's hands at gun shows. Um, let's go to rest homes, and let's put a ballot in Mrs. Jones' Um, hand, despite her having Alzheimer's and that voted in 10 years and doesn't know, you know, which is left and which is right, doesn't matter. I mean, get that ballot in her hand, get her coherent enough for a minute or two to cast a ballot in favor of the Republican Party. Let's get Republican county clerks, but you, you know, kind of in the gray area, sending out mass absentee ballots. And let's find out where these mass absentee ballots with, whether they requested or not. Doesn't matter. Did you request that ballot? Nope, but you got it, didn't you? Yes. Um, let me help you feel, I mean, we, we got to play in that world. NIL doesn't matter if you like it or not. Transfer portal doesn't matter if you like it or not. It is a new reality in college football. This is a new reality in American politics. And the Democrats have accepted, embraced, taken advantage of it while the Republicans are running around believing in the, the virtues of winning election on candidate quality and voter turnout. And I just think the same thing is going to happen in Georgia today. Have you seen the early voting numbers? Have you seen the busloads of people showing up at heavily Democrat precincts? I have. I mean, I think Newt Gingrich kind of um, conceded last night on Fox News, if I'm not mistaken. He basically said if Walker doesn't have a huge day today, I mean, he's going to get beat because the Democrats had busloads of people showing up at heavily Democrat precincts. I'm talking about busload after busload, after busload, and the, and the Republicans are kind of crossing their fingers saying, well, Walker was a football hero, you know. 
Mm. I mean, the absurdity of that. We've got to get some new blood involved in this party, and we'll kind of talk about the RNC chairman. There's a big effort. I mean, I know this to be true. There's a big effort to try and convince Lee Zeldin to run for RNC chairman. He's not crazy about it, but they're really leaning on him. Lee, is there anything we can do to make this job more appealing or attractive? All that means is, Lee, can we go see some of these big donors and, and you know, maybe raise the salary or give you something, um, allow you to fly in a, in a better plane? I don't know, but there, there's, a, there's a, um, a machinery in works trying to convince Lee Zeldin to be the RNC chairman. Let's take our first break of the morning. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937, a new age of college football, a new age of American politics. Um, I wish it weren't the case. I mean, I wish we didn't have NIL. I wish we didn't have the transfer portal. I wish it mattered, you know, some of the historical trends, some of the um, some of the messaging and issues and candidate quality and, you know, um, candidate debates and voter persuasion. I mean, I, I wish they did mean a lot more than they do today. But in actuality, they mean almost nothing and, and are extremely insignificant. Who gets the ballots out? And who collects the ballots? That's who's going to be winning elections in some of these swing states. Because what the Democrats have done, I mean, they don't care how bad they lose in South Carolina. They don't care how bad they lose in Wyoming. I mean, they, they've targeted about four or five states and said, we're going to invest all of our energy and assets in these states where we believe we can be competitive. And the Republicans are running around saying, did you see how bad we won in South Carolina? We, we showed them that Texas is still red, didn't we? And, and these Democrats are playing chess. I mean, they're in these states that allow for, I mean, they're loose and fast with the rules. I mean, they're allowing unsolicited mail-in ballots to be normalized. And they're doing a, a, a thousand percent better job of harvesting those ballots than the Republicans are. And the Republicans are running around, man, we made a hell of a run in New York, you know, with Lee Zeldin. We're all proud about the effort. Now, Zeldin helped us by winning some house seats with his coattails, but we've got to strategize. And, and identify these four or five states, how do we become more competitive in Arizona, Nevada? Um, let's not lose North Carolina, and let's figure out a way to win in Georgia. And I think you're going to see an example. I mean, they've changed a lot of laws in Georgia, but it looks to me like Warnock's going to beat Walker by um, sundown to, well, the sun goes down earlier today than it normally does. But, I mean, you know where I'm headed. I mean, by, by sometime early evening, it's going to be pretty obvious that Warnock is going to get reelected in Georgia unless we have a huge, a, a tremendous number of Republicans vote same-day voting. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. As far as college football goes, it's, it's pretty much done with. You know, they're, everything normal in America, they're trying to destroy. I mean, you don't have 12 games here, what, 24, 25, 26, 12 games? So that's going to put them playing 16 games a year if you go to the, you know, to the championship game. Hell, the pros play 16, 18 games a year. That's it. So it's might as well go ahead and just set it up to where every player that comes to your university, just plan on paying them a million dollars apiece. Then they'll be, they won't be happy, but, you know, that'll be the starting point. Every player gets a million dollars a piece and maybe they'll be able to get a contract and says, all right, we'll pay you a million dollars each year. Just sign with us for four years and do away with the NIL portal. 
But as far as the Democrats go, you know, they, they kept saying democracy's on the ballot. They were never writer in their life. I mean, look at how they demonized the Georgia voting law. But now they're saying, oh, everybody's, look at the great turnouts they're having. They just blow off the fact that they took away the, the American or the baseball all-star game and cost them people about $300 million. It's all about them. Um, somebody else has put their name in the, in the hat to run for the RNC that's the RNC uh, Attorneys Association, Harmony Dillon. She said last night on Tucker that she's going to run for it too. So we're going to have some shakeups up, up top, but every, every, <laughs> everything this country stands for is basically on the line. These people are already talking in, in Mitch McConnell, and they're going to go along with it. Amnesty for these illegals. And you watch, and they're, they want somebody like Chris Christie to run for president. That's who they want. Him or Jeb Bush or somebody milquetoast like the guy from uh, Maryland, Hogan. That, that's who they want. So they can lose happily and go along, get along. So. I think we're pretty much done unless people wake up because our our temporal uh, blessings are slowly being taken away from us. Rights, liberty, you know, just the small stuff, free speech. Because the, the White House is blowing off all this Hunter Biden stuff. It's, oh, that's old news. Don't worry about it. So, I don't know. I, I'm... I'm hopeful that the American people pull this out because if they get 51 votes, it'll have to be on cinema and mansion to block everything they want to do, and it's going to be hard for them to do that every time because they want they want amnesty for probably 20 million illegals, and the, the Republicans are going to go along with it. They're going they're going to pass this big omnibus bill, I guarantee. You know. At least McCarthy got the uh, the vaccination pulled out of the military, which is what I was concerned about because they're destroying our military as hard as they can. But just put your head down and uh, rely on the one that gives us everything. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. I read an article yesterday about um about Ron DeSantis and uh, the state the state general assembly in Georgia is trying to figure out a way to pass legislation that allows DeSantis to run for president and not lose the governorship. It's kind of an interesting, I'll try to run that down there in the next break, but they're, they're, they're introducing legislation that would allow him to kind of um, uh, be able to run for president, but not lose. I mean, I think these terms, they, they run on um, the same years. I mean, they're, they're, they've got consecutive cycles here. In other words, you got a midterm and a presidential cycle. I mean, when I ran for lieutenant governor, it was not the presidential cycle. So when Robert and I modeled, we modeled X turnout because it was in an off-year election. Um, I think DeSantis runs at the same time the president runs. So they're trying to change some legislation in Florida. I would advise DeSantis to not run. I mean, I've thought long and hard about that. I mean, Ron DeSantis doesn't call me, never will. But if he were, I would say, hey, man, just stay out of the way. I mean, just just let all this confusion uh, play itself out. I mean, don't, don't run against Trump in a primary. 
I mean, Trump's already announced he's running. Maybe DeSantis wins. Maybe he doesn't. But don't expose yourself to that. I mean, play the long game. Stay clean and neat and supportive. Yeah, um, but he has to feel his capital is very high right now. Well, I mean, he's the probably, way he won this last election. No question about it. I mean, he's the hottest commodity in the in the Republican Party right now. But but Trump's going to remind people of what here. I mean, Trump's going to create a level of indebtedness. I mean, there's still about a third of the voters in, in America that believe um, they owe him because he was the guy that came along and and exposed all this. And I think the legacy of Trump will be the exposing of all this, how dedicated and committed some of these um, forces were. And I think the Twitter story, I mean, it's much more about Trump than it is Biden. I mean, it really is. You know, when you look at the data, we're talking about um, Democrats down 10.3 million, Republicans up 3.5 million, Trump's not on the ballot. The main thing the Republicans did was go vote against Joe Biden. I mean, I'm convinced of that. I mean, the, you know, the talk about candidate quality and messaging. I mean, I don't think anybody had an exemplary message. Um, it's a little bit like I'm not Joe Biden. I mean, vote for me and I'll get in the way of the Biden agenda. So when the Republicans saw an increase of 3.5 million votes, I mean, it was similar to what Trump does for the other side. I mean, do you really believe that if Republican turnout was up 3.5 million, it was because of Dr. Oz or Blake Masters or J.D. Vance or, or Herschel Walker? No, it's Joe Biden. I mean, Biden is forcing people on our side to go try to stop that agenda, you know, stop that um, that movement, that liberal energy that we believe is um, is dangerous to the future of America. But if Trump, I mean, when, when you look at the data, 59% of Americans believe that something happened in 2020 that may have cost Trump the election. The Republican Party gained in every race, ethnicity, um, subset of voters, except voters under the age of 35 and single women, and they're going to lose the Senate race in Arizona, in Nevada, in Georgia, in Pennsylvania? Really? I mean, in the four swing states, they're going to lose every one of those races. Um, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. And, and what, Well, it does if you look at ballot harvesting. I mean, if you look at what the Democrats are doing in Pennsylvania, what they've done in Georgia, I mean, they've organized far superior to what the Republicans have. I just think the Republicans need, and I don't know who needs to do this. I mean, immediately Zeldin appears to be more competent than anybody else I've thought about um, considering this. I'll give you an example. I think Drew McKissick. I mean, I think our statewide chairman is the kind of guy that, that gets it. I mean, he understands what we could do to be more competitive in Pennsylvania, in, in Arizona, in Nevada, in Georgia. And we've got to accept that, that you know, as Joe said, and I've said it before, whether you like Transfer Portal NIL, doesn't matter. That's not the question. I mean, do you like ballot harvesting? Do you like absentee voting? Do you like early voting? Do you like buses of people showing up at polls unsolicited? Do you like, you know, somebody getting a 20 spot to round up five votes? I mean, I'm not asking you whether you like that or not. It is a new reality in American politics. And in some of these swing states, the Democrats have done a much better job at outmaneuvering Republicans to create a, a lay of the land that allows these sorts of shenanigans to happen. And that's just where we are. It doesn't matter what the poll says. I mean, Masters and um, and Kelly were in a tie. Carrie Lake was four points ahead. Oz and Fetterman were in a tie. The, the Republican underperformed. The Democrat overperformed. Why? Because a television ad was very relatable late in the campaign? No. There, there was an October surprise. We found out something about, you know, Masters late in the day. No, none of that happened. The Democrats didn't care what the poll said. 
because the Democrats knew that you were polling registered voters. And while we were polling registered voters and running traditional campaigns, the Democrats were identifying people who don't vote, get a ballot in their hand, harvest that ballot, and turning into an election commission um, near you. That is the strategy, guys. That is the new age of American politics. It's not earning your vote anymore. A dead man won in Pennsylvania. How does a dead man earn your vote? It's impossible. But somebody's out there harvesting ballots in the name of a dead man. And a dead Democrat won a seat in the Pennsylvania General Assembly. That's all you need to know. I mean, the, the days of earning votes is over with. Build an infrastructure that, that identifies people who don't normally vote, but get ballots, go get to them before the Democrats do, and do whatever you got to do to get them to vote straight Republican. Take a break. Back in a minute. Whether it's Lee Zeldin, whether it's Rona McDaniel, whether it's, um, what's, what's her name, Dylan? I mean, it's D-H-I-L-L-O-N. I mean, she works for the law firm um, Harmeet. If I'm, I don't yeah. know if I'm saying that right. I mean, I think that's right. She's a, um, Dylan. she's a current RNC committee woman who worked at a law firm that represented Donald Trump in many of his um, political travails, kept him busy, rest assured, uh, rest assured. But, um, I mean, she's announced that she's running from what I'm gathering. And I think we said last week that Zeldin was running. Um, there was a couple of media reports, but he has said that he's considering it and will make an announcement tomorrow. So, um, you know, and I'm telling you, there's a 168-member committee that will get together in January in California, and they'll have uh, a series of votes. And if you've got more than one, I mean, it's kind of like um, the last two standing, and then you have a head-to-head contest or voting of the 668 members. But, um, you know, what are the agenda issues? What are the items? Where is the – um? I mean, once again, anybody but Ronald McDaniel for me as far as I'm concerned because there was no reason to underperform as Republicans did – in the 2022 midterms. And if Walker loses, let me ask you this, Reb. I mean, you're a Trumpster, mm-hmm. uh, but you're objective. I mean, you accept that he cuts I, both ways. I, I mean, I think, be. you know, it's kind of interesting. Yesterday when I got accused of, um, of you know, being unfair to Trump when I had that but. You know, it says Trump is this but. I mean, I think that's the only way. I think you're being dishonest with yourself if you don't include that but. I mean, to discuss Donald Trump as a political candidate or, or office holder and not, I mean, it requires a but. I mean, he's this, but he's that, but I mean, he's no different than the majority of us. You know, Ken's a good guy, but you know, Rev's a good guy, but Freel's a good guy, but um, you know, you know, Ken's pretty good at this, but Dave's pretty good at that, but I mean, you know, all of our lives are. Sure. I mean, I, I've always felt if I've got more before the but than after, then I'm net positive. <laughs> you know, um, that's one way to look well, at I mean, it. You know where I'm headed. I mean, yeah. all of our lives are, are examples of you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that and. Uh, some things you're really good at and some things you probably need to work on and, and get better at. Um, but, but I think when, when you take Trump, there's such a, um, an embedded loyalty by a percentage of the electorate that they don't accept the butt. The butt, following the butt is normally some degree of criticism, and you're not entitled to be critical of Trump. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice as an America firster to not be critical when criticism is warranted. Um, and, and I'll ask, I was going to ask Rev this. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the data, when you say that 10.3 million fewer Democrat voted in 22 than in, 20, than in 18, 3.5 million more Republicans, when you look at the 59% of Americans who believe that something happened to cost Donald Trump the election, when you look at um, the Republican uptick 
in African Americans and Hispanics and Asian Americans and um and white educated women and white uneducated you know where I'm headed every demo except unmarried women and and I mean that's with children and without children mm-hmm. unmarried women and voters under the age of 35 just don't have much of an appetite for Republicans whether it's America First or not so you take all that and you say okay um you can't tell me America First is not appealing because we increased our voting percentages with all the groups that we've aspired to for many, many years. We got killed in a couple of places, and, and you could argue student debt and abortion were the driving issues there. Um, but you also look and say, okay, th- those are generally positive trends. But then you look at, why did we lose Nevada? Why did we lose Arizona? Why did we lose in Pennsylvania? Why did we lose in Georgia? I mean, just think about that. What is your answer to that? I mean, as somebody who um, oh, I wish I had the answer because Trump was not on the ballot. I mean, he his name was not on any of those ballots, right? To some degree, you're right, but you would accept the influence of Trump is always on the ballot. Sure. I mean, if um, is, is Walker a Trump candidate? Was Oz a Trump candidate? Of course. Was Masters a Trump candidate? Yep. Um, Laxalt a Trump candidate? The only person that you get confused by was J.D. Vance. Trump endorsed Vance's opponent until Vance says things or began saying things that sounded more like America first than Trump. And I remember the day <laughs> on the show when we said, okay, Trump's endorsed J.D. Vance's opponent, but he'll change his mind because J.D. will say things. And sure enough, Trump went to some of his um, operation and said, why are we against this guy? I mean, he sounds, like, he sounds more like us than the guy we've endorsed in Ohio. So Trump didn't have a good run in Senate seats. It's, it's almost like the appeal of Trump, the allure of Trump, is, is still as solid as, as it's ever been in some of these House races, but House races are deeply partisan. I mean, they've been gerrymandered. Uh, the, the battles are won in the primaries. I mean, if you win the primary in about, what, 250 or 60 or 70 House seats, it's over. I mean, you're going to be the congressman or woman. And, and I, I just think it, it, we've we got to do somewhat of a, um, a deeper dive on all of this data. And as of now, I can't explain it. And, and I juxt- don't know what to think. Well, you got to juxtapose that data to these four seats that it looks like the Democrats are going to win all four. Back in a minute. 843 I want to go back to something that we touched on yesterday. I want to make sure I get this quote exactly right. Um, stick with me a second. I'm looking at a text I actually sent one of my kids. He kind of liked this. You ready? Mm-hmm. Our founding fathers thought they had lit a small, cozy campfire of a government but it has grown into a raging inferno that is consuming every bit of available fuel in the forest. In essence, government has become ungovernable. Who believes that? Who believes that government today has become ungovernable? And if government is not ungovernable, then who has the responsibility, the right, the authority to say, hey, get back in your lane? I mean, it goes back to the interpretation of the Constitution, right? I mean, so, you know, the government kind of sort of tells you and I to get back in your lane, do your thing the way we say do your your thing. Um, I, I went back and read a lot yesterday, far more about the Twitter deal than I ever have. And, I mean, it's, uh, Jonathan Hurley has an article. I mean, he's a, um, a George Washington law professor, you know, one of the esteemed, it's either George Washington or Georgetown, one of those places I didn't get um, accepted into. Um, but, but But he's talking about, you know, um, it's, it's kind of an interesting um, editorial that he um, writes for TheHill.com. And um, I don't know if they care much for uh, Jonathan any longer because he doesn't. I mean, something happened at TheHill.com. Remember Jesse Burns? 
used to get offered to us as a guest. Yeah, that's but, right. but the Hill kind of sold their soul to the anti-Trump or the Never Trump movement. And um, you hardly ever get Jesse mentioned. I mean, he's editor-in-chief of thehill.com. And I always enjoyed it because the Hill kind of gave, to me, it's a little bit liberal, but it's not unfair. And I, mean, I always perceived Turley as kind of a liberal law professor. And then, but he, he I guess he, he fell out with some of the, the left-wingers because he always he seemed to come to Trump's defense sometimes. Well, he came to the and, Constitution's defense. Exactly. You know, that, that's really, I mean, he never right. came to Trump's defense. I mean, he did. You're right, he did. But it was in the name of the Constitution. Right, right. You know, you can't do but, but that so was enough much for of them, so, so he wasn't in the club anymore. But he included a quote yesterday in one of this article. This article I read at thehill.com. I'm reading glasses. This print's not as big as I thought it was <laughs> early this morning. Um <laughs> Twitter acting by itself to suppress free speech is not a First Amendment violation, but acting under orders from the government to suppress free speech with no judicial review is. And it looks to me like, and my kind of, I don't know, ramblings and trying to better understand this story and be sure. I mean, I don't want to point a finger and not uh, be right about it, but it seems to me that um, the documentation we have today clearly shows that a back channel existed between Twitter, between Facebook, uh, with the President Biden camp. When the campaign had officials and the campaign officials reached out to buy, you know, to Facebook and Twitter, it seemed to me like they were always taken care of. And they had these um, these very friendly ways of dealing with things that needed to be dealt with. Um, but here's the problem, Rev, and here's where we have a a big question to answer, and this is why we need a Judiciary Committee headed by Jim Jordan. I don't think there's a problem with documentation that shows there was a back channel between the Biden campaign and people at Facebook and Twitter. I mean, to me, they lose credibility. I mean, if they are to be social platforms, in other words, they, they it's just like, forget the media for a second. I, I've tried to explain Twitter. I tried to do this twice yesterday. To me, Twitter is not a media outlet. It's a social media platform and imagine if the phone company i mean verizon were monitoring mine and your text and phone calls and all of a sudden verizon said those two guys are crazy conservatives let's cut their phone service let's not allow them to communicate one with another so it's not like the media i mean the new york times is a for-profit business and if they want to hire everybody you know on the left if they want to go to harvard or one of these um ivy league schools and pluck out you know some of the bright liberal minds of america and, and put them in the newsrooms at the New York Times. They have a right to do that. I mean, I think it's a disservice to the country because I think the country is better served when we have a fair-minded press. But I don't think the New York Times is in violation of the First Amendment. I mean, I think they have a right to do that. Once again, I think, I mean, Jefferson talked a lot about the, um, you know, the press and the um, the fair-minded press and, and how the country would be better served if we had fair and honest reporting. I mean, if Trump colluded with Russia, let's get to the bottom of it. If Hunter Biden got paid by Burisma because his dad was the vice president, let's get to the bottom of it. I mean, you know, turn around is fair play to each his own and, and let's judge accordingly. But it seems to me like, I mean, the better comparison for Twitter is not the New York Times, not the CBS News, not ABC News, but rather the phone company. Mm. And if Verizon says that Dave Baker and Ken Art are making too much sense trying to explain conservative values and principles and ideals, we need to stop that. But that's not the way we see the world. 
I think Verizon probably contractually, I mean, they violate your contract and say you've got a right to have a phone and you're paying twenty nine ninety nine a month or whatever a phone bill is. Um, I'm on the family plan. <laughs> There's more than that. Well, I mean, I know that because i got 100 phones on my family plan, <laughs> right. the cell phone scholarship. I've tried to explain that. It's in perpetuity. There's no, there is no um, expiration date on the family plan or the cell phone scholarship. But um, true. But but once again, Verizon's a for-profit business. So so here's the way I look at it. Here's my interpretation, and I try to be as clear as I can. So so if the social media platform supplies a forum, a medium, a platform for people to communicate with each other on political, social. Um, cultural, personal, professional, sports. I mean, whatever you decide to put on there. You talked about Shaheen Bell mm-hmm. declaring for the, um, I mean, he basically made himself a um, portal. An entry, he entered the transfer portal. Um, I found that out on Twitter. How did you find it out? Same way. Okay, on Twitter. So, I mean, it spreads the news. Uh, some of it's gossip. Some of it's um, inaccurate. But, but, you know, at times it's pretty believable. <laughs> yeah, because when you see something like that, the first thing you do is check the source. Right, mm-hmm. you don't automatically assume it's one hundred percent correct. Okay, would you argue that social media today, the social media platform, is probably more popular than the telephone ever was? <laughs> oh yes, of course. but it's crazy, yeah. it's absurd, especially since Musk bought Twitter, and you believe you're getting somewhat of a fair it's shake. Beca- and it's certainly lately become more entertaining. Correct. So, so, so the point I'm trying to make, or the point I'm trying to articulate, censoring communication on Twitter is akin to cutting your phone line. Verizon saying, hey, man, th- those guys are making too much sense, so um, let, let's, let's, let's treat them unfavorable. Let's lump them in a certain category. Um, and it seems the Biden campaign and the Democrat National Committee had a back channel to Twitter and routinely used that back channel to basically um, stop Rev and I from discussing opposing views to what the Biden administration wanted to put out in the social media platform. I still think they're allowed to do that. Well, let, me, let me think this through, because I think I saw where you were going with this. All right, if they're allowed to do this, a, a political campaign that is not in government power technically at that point, and a private company, although it's publicly traded, a private company like Twitter, and they had this arrangement, spoken or unspoken, um, if it's not a violation of First Amendment, is it... What, what is it? I mean, should should that arrangement it's be... It's crappy. Well, should it be declared as a campaign donation? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any idea. I mean, an in-kind contribution. Exactly. I mean, there's a big debate about should Twitter have... um Should should the Biden campaign have filed that Twitter did them some favors and there was a value on this? Um, I'll give you an example. My brother is a pilot, has an airplane. My brother flew me around. I had someone fly me around when I ran for lieutenant governor. You had to fill out paperwork saying that was an in-kind contribution. Mm-hmm. Now, my brother was real like, I don't have to fill out anything. You're my brother. I mean, why do? Why is it anybody's business that I'm flying my brother on my plane to go from X, Y, or Z? Well, I mean, there's, you know, once again, the government. I mean, the government tells you what sort of arrangement. I mean, imagine that, guys. I mean, imagine how we've gotten here. I mean, the government basically tells two brothers that they can't do that arrangement or, or, or situation. They can't do the situation as they normally would because one's filed to run for office and it all has to be disclosed. Mm-hmm. The public needs to know, you know, is that an in-kind contribution well, or not? Well, not only that, now if you Venmo him $600 or more, they want to know that yeah, too. Yeah, you got to, uh, the, the IRS and these 87,000 yeah. new agents. Not, not only do they want to know it, they're going to know it and you have nothing to say about but, it. But let's go back to this now. So, so, so you believe and I believe that... That the Biden, but I don't like it. I think it's unfair and I think it's unfortunate. 
But the Biden campaign back-channeling with the Twitter authorities, I mean, the, the, the lady that we can't pronounce her name, G-A-D-D-E, I mean, she was head of security and she was a lawyer and she was in charge of um, the trustworthiness of what made its way on the Twitter the, the platform Zion. or not. Yeah, Daddy. Uh, Daddy. They're, they're, that's close enough. I mean, that's about as good as I could do if I were to try it. So, um, but, but here's the problem. Those back channels seem to have continued once Biden got elected. So to mm. me, um, when you go from being a campaign ally to a surrogate for state censorship, you're in violation of the First Amendment. Um, you can't censor critics if you're a government agency or for government agent. I mean, you can't use agencies for the purpose of, you know, disallowing someone their First Amendment right. And it seems to me that if I'm putting something critical on Twitter and the Biden administration reaches out to Twitter and says, we don't like what they're putting on there, and they respond, handled. That's kind of the catch word. I mean, handled. Right. Uh, And we got this covered. Then that is when they are absolutely in violation of your First Amendment rights. Now, what happens there? I don't have any idea. Um, but, but we can't lose sight of, and, and what, what I don't want us to do is forget why this is a new story. The new story is not Twitter and whether Twitter, I mean, whether Twitter or violated the first amendment rights or not. The new story is the story the, 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 the story that was trying to be suppressed. Well, I mean, it not trying the story that was suppressed was the Hunter Biden laptop story. And the Hunter Biden laptop, we believe, may include incriminating information. Forget the nude pictures. For forget the prostitutes and drugs and 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 you know crazy lifestyle. I mean, that's not interesting to me. It may be to you. I don't find that interesting at all. I mean, it doesn't. I don't have any interest at all in how Hunter Biden lived. The only thing I want to know is was Hunter Biden a surrogate for the Biden family and peddling influence? Was he on the Barisma board? Because he knew a lot about energy or was a son of a vice president and there was a quid pro quo going on. What we don't need to do and what I'm afraid we're going to do is get so caught up in this Twitter and censorship story that we lose sight of the story that we're trying to censor. The other story that needs to be paid close attention to is the FBI lawyer who left Twitter, who went to, um, excuse me, left the FBI, went to Twitter. Um, I'm trying to think of his name now. I had it written down, but I can't. Uh, you remember his James, name? James Red? Baker. Yeah, James Baker. There you go. James Baker was a former FBI lawyer. In fact, a high-ranking FBI lawyer who worked hand-in-hand on the Russia collusion story in the FISA warrant. I mean, he was the guy that basically did some of the um, the backroom dealing at the FBI, uh, spying on Carter Page, convincing a FISA court judge that the, the dossier is real. It's not opposition research. It needs to be treated as such. So, so to me, the story is still not about Twitter. I mean, it is about Twitter and the First Amendment, no doubt about it. And did the Biden administration, when the Biden campaign became the Biden administration and Twitter still handled, quote, unquote, things for them, that is an absolute violation of the First Amendment. And that should be dealt with. But, but let's get to the bigger story. The bigger story is James Baker what he did or didn't do in the name of the FBI in trying to suppress a story that may or may not have affected the outcome of an election. That's the second biggest story here. The third biggest story is did Twitter violate the First Amendment by allowing the Biden administration, not the campaign, but the Biden administration 
to kind of lean on them hot and heavy to make sure certain opinions were suppressed. Some of the algorithms were changed to not allow this um, opinion to be mainstream, but the story to be as mainstream as that's the third most important story. The second most important is James Baker. How involved was the FBI in suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story? I mean, we can, there's a lot of details and specifics there that we can um, contemplate. But, but the reality is, d- did the FBI or not, was it James Baker? Could have been somebody else. But did the FBI go to Twitter and say, hey, in the name of beating Trump, I mean, I'm sure they didn't verbalize that, but in, in the name of beating Donald Trump and making sure a more reasonable guy gets elected, we need you to suppress that story. I mean, that should be the biggest story. I mean, if the FBI actively involved in affecting the outcome of the election, that should be, there shouldn't be a story possibly any bigger than that, but there is. And the biggest story is, did Hunter Biden share an office, have communications, um, save 10% of whatever money he got and launder? in some way, shape, or form, to his father. I mean, that's the biggest story here. So the story has stages. The first stage of the story is Twitter and censorship of the First Amendment. The second story is James Baker, how involved the FBI was in, you know, convincing Twitter that this is in the, um, I mean, this is the patriotic thing to do. This is the right thing to do. You know how crazy Trump is and those crazies that, that elected him or voted for him. we got to stop that right now. And then the the other story is, did Hunter Biden in any way, shape, or form uh, financially reward his father in these Burisma deals and some of the Chinese dealings? I mean, it's millions and millions and millions. It could be in excess of $100 million when all said and done. And I understand that there are those out there worried about Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. I mean, we're investigating that. I mean, there's a thorough investigation. I think I saw yesterday where Trump right now is being investigated by 17 government agencies in some way, shape, or form. In some of his private dealings, some of his public dealings, um, we do know that there's an investigation into um, Hunter Biden, but but it's not about his lifestyle. Forget the pictures, forget the prostitutes, forget the drugs. This is about, you know, did Tony Bobolinsky tell the truth? And if Bobolinsky were to appear before a, um, a House Judiciary Committee and, and indict incriminate the president's son and the president, where do we go from there? I mean, that's what I want us to focus and on. And there's some ancillary evidence from what Mark Zuckerberg said as it relates to Facebook. He Correct. said the FBI did communicate with them about the story as well. But, but I don't think anybody's surprised by that. I mean, I don't think anybody would be caught off guard. Here's the, if the Biden administration, well, let me just back up a half step. If, if I'm working for the Biden campaign and there's this story about to break about, you know, the son of the president, and his lifestyle, his transgressions, his um, his his life out of control, um, that's embarrassing. But it's not illegal, right? I mean, that, n- none of that right. is illegal. But 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 if I were working with the Biden campaign, and I had a friendly at Twitter or friendly at Facebook, I would be derelict in my duty if I didn't reach out to that friendly and say, "Hey, this story's coming down the pike. The New York Post has found this laptop. They're going to run with the story. It may or may not be legitimate." But, but help us all you can. Now, Zuckerberg said it was the FBI. Well, I mean, he didn't that, say it was but, the but campaign. Stick with me for a second. Okay. okay, but I'm just saying if I were working for the Biden campaign and knew that to be true, 
I got to reach out to my friendlies at Twitter. I got to reach out to my friendlies at Facebook and say, Hey, I need a, I need a friendly here. I need a solid. I mean, there's this story a week or two or three before the election that we just don't need out there. I mean, I don't understand what you guys do with algorithms, but help us. And somebody would respond handled because they're one of you and you're one of them. Once again, to your point that the scary part of this is if the FBI went to Zuckerberg, as he says, they did and said, Hey, there's this story coming down the pike that could shape or affect the outcome of the election. We need you to handle this. I mean, that, that is, that, that is absolutely scary if that indeed happened. And Zuckerberg said it did on the Joe Rogan podcast. We may try to play that during the, um, try to find it during the break and play it after the break. But, but the, the scarier part of this Rev is the story we're trying to suppress. The president's son, who has no apparent abilities to be on a board anywhere because his life's completely and totally out of control. I mean, he's, he's caused a lot of problems for his father. And, and look, I'm a dad. I mean, I get that. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to hurt. I mean, I don't have any interest in piling on a family of a public figure. But Biden decided to allow him to negotiate some of these deals with Burisma. In fact, we know he rode on Air Force Two to China with his father. And we got to get to the bottom of that. That's what the Senate, I mean, excuse me, the House, I mean, the Senate's not going to do it because they're in a Democrat majority. The only hope we have is a House Judiciary Committee chaired by Jim Jordan that goes down the road of um, First Amendment and then goes secondarily to the, uh, the FBI's involvement. And then let's find out exactly what Joe Biden got, if anything, from the business dealings of his very troubled kid. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Our number. All right. So, so if I'm understanding you correctly, let's say just hypothetically, you worked for the Biden campaign. Okay. And if you were in that world, okay, and you saw this coming, you would have reached out to Twitter. To do the sure, campaign. absolutely. I mean, if I had friendlies at Twitter and Facebook, you better believe one of the first things I would have done is said, "Hey guys, there's a story coming down." Uh, help me all you can. I mean, we know that happened. And of course, I mean, those, those campaign surrogates are doing their job. Uh, but if anybody works for a political campaign and there's there's bad news coming, you try to you try to tamp it down. You try to control it. Damage control. I mean, that's always in the art of politics. Yeah, but I mean, if, if I were a Democrat running a Democrat campaign and I knew I had friendlies at Twitter and Facebook, I think you should be fired if you don't reach out and try to get them to handle the issue and change some algorithms so it doesn't see the light of day. It's interesting when you look at some of the internals at Twitter. I mean, there was some converse. There were people at Twitter that said, hey, man, I don't know if we're doing the right thing here or not. Um, they were talking about hacking policy. Remember, we touched on that yesterday. Yep. But there's some internal conversation about we might hide behind this hacking for a day or two, but we're not going to suppress this story for an extended period of time and still argue that it's all about hacking. The questions I won't answer is what did James Baker do on behalf of the FBI and what exactly what exactly have we done in regards to um eh, you know what what Joe Biden knew about Hunter Biden's um dealings business dealings uh, author of the critically acclaimed and best-selling book The Founder's Speech to a Nation Stephen Rabb is with us Stephen good morning how are you Good morning sir how are you So we're talking politics as we always are but in Georgia they're actually voting today for a um for a very important senate seat it's either 50 50 or 51 49 i'm a conservative republican i'm a bit discouraged because i looked on some of the london betting markets and they've got warnock with an 89 percent chance to be the um the full-termed senator from georgia what say you mr rab 
Well, I, I, I wouldn't put it at 89%. I'd say he'd, he'd be the, the favored horse in this race. That's, that's, uh, um, because, and, and largely because the Democrats have such a good turnout to vote uh, apparatus. They, they are uh, machine-like in how they can uh, put votes into those ballot boxes. So um, that makes it difficult. There's no doubt. Having said that, uh, there's a lot of passion on the Republican side. It's a rainy day in Georgia. Uh, enthusiasm matters. And so uh, who's going to fight the rain to get out and actually vote today? Um, so that, that, could, that could help Republicans. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's going to be um, a close, close uh, outcome. And, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm for the side of, uh, of the patriots, of conservatives, of those who are standing up for America. We get really wrapped up into personalities. Um, and he said this and he did that. But in the end, it's a team sport, and I'm voting for the team that is on the side of defending America principles and values. And, uh, and so we'll, we're, I'm rooting for Team Red today. Mr. Rabbit is a team sport, but everybody on the red team isn't singing off the same shitty music. We're not. Uh, you called one play, and I ran another play. You've got Trump. You've got <laughs> DeSantis. You've got Kemp. You've got the national, um, you know, the, the RNC, so to speak. How do we put this all together? I mean, there, there are a lot of. I mean, everybody conceptually believes in one another, but but there, there's some disagreement internally that I think cause problems in the midterms and, and could potentially cause Walker problems today. Well, I agree with you, and I think I think we've got to say focus on principles um, over over personalities. And this is why I wrote the book, The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis, is to remind Americans of the principles, the founding principles of this country. And I believe that the conservatives. If we say focused on those founding principles and don't get wrapped up into personalities, and, and that's, you know, I am not a Trumpian. I'm a conservative. I am a, uh, you know, I will vote for Trump when he aligns with conservative principles. When he drifts off the reservation and starts chasing his own interest, um, then I, I become less interested in Trump because I won't move off of the conservative principles um, that this country was founded on, and that's why I'm, I'm focused on helping people understand the principles of America uh, and the founders of this country. Well explained. Mr. Rapp, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you know, there, there's another leg to this story. I want to get back real quick to the Twitter story because it's got so many tentacles. I mean, it reaches out in so many different um, sorts of places. Remember the, um, the former intelligence officials that put out this, um, I mean, we now know it's a misleading letter suggesting that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Oh, I remember it well. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting how orderly and organized this resistance was. I mean, the resistance to Trump's presidency, to his administration, uh, to his um, second campaign, his run for re-election. Um, you know, uh, what do we call it? The Twitter files that have been released by Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting that Turley wrote at the end of his article. I mean, I found this... Um, uh, let me make sure I find it right here. Uh, While you're looking it up, I, I, I've looked this up because okay. I wanted to remember what Joe Biden said during the debate. You remember the laptop story was out there. It was being suppressed, and President Trump brought it up in the debate. And here's exactly, and, and if we're talking about the campaign trying to suppress the story and using the back channels to Twitter, here's what Joe Biden said during the debate. What he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. What he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except him and his good friend Rudy Giuliani. It's a Russian plant. Well, I mean, but what did um what did Harry Reid say on the floor of the Senate? He didn't win, did he? <laughs> right. 
I mean, that's what you got to get a cut. I mean, we got to understand, guys, we're dealing with cutthroats. I mean, they, they will tear Trump apart and throw him in the trash. They're not concerned about the flaws or fallacies of Joe Biden. How do we stop Donald Trump? I mean, that, that was always the motivation in, in, the, uh, in the 2016 election and the 2020 election. And once again, the fact that people at Twitter and Facebook were complicit in agreeing to help the Biden campaign, I mean, that's, un, that's unfortunate. I mean, it's not the way we, we hope democracy or representative, um, uh, you know, a, a democratic republic works. But it, it happens a lot. I mean, that's happened before. And it's funny he mentions really Rudy Giuliani because obviously it's come out later that they were monitoring Giuliani's emails. Well, I mean, and, and here's the central question that I think we all need to ponder. How corrupt has our government become in engaging in the affairs of elections? The media's always been involved. I mean, you, the Republicans have had friendlies at the Washington Post before. Or friendlies at the, uh, I mean, not as many, but I mean, you you got to believe that Republican campaigns have reached out to members of the media, strongly suggesting or encouraging that this news make the front page or this news make the back page. You know, the good news makes the front page, the back news. I mean, there's always this give and take interaction between the media, but but the social media platforms are different, Reb. I mean, they're more like a telephone. They're more like a, um, I mean, once again, it's the digital town hall. I can't write an article for the New York Times. They won't allow it. I don't work for the Times. I don't have a right to do that. But I should have a right on these social media platforms to express myself however I see fit as long as I don't threaten, you know, or use vulgar language. I mean, I understand certain um, community standards. I get that. I think Facebook should have community standards. I think, um, I mean, I put something a bit, um, uh, I, put, I tweeted something the other day, and it had a profane word in it. But I meant it. I mean, I meant exactly what I was saying. And it kind of, uh, before it sent, it said, hey, do you want to revisit this? You sure you want to send it? And I did. I mean, I said it exactly the way I wanted to say it. But but if you use certain words, um, you know, it, it requires you to, hey, make sure you want to send this now. And you're like, yeah, I want to really? send it. I mean, if I wouldn't have written it if I didn't want to want to send it. But I think, there, you know, once you get past, and here's where we're, we're I, I think we're getting a little bit bogged down with this. Because we, we love what Elon Musk has done. I mean, he's professing to be a free speech absolutist. Turley basically says that Musk could be the guy that the, the mainstream media can't deal with. In other words, Trump was the political blunt instrument, um, but Musk may be the person that Washington can't fully mobilize, control, and contain. I mean, we know that Washington mobilized. I mean, I think even the most liberal Democrat in America knows that there was a mobilization of all the forces embedded in government to try and stop Donald Trump from getting elected in 16 and, and, and stop him from winning again in 2020. But, but Trump was a disruptor. I mean, he was an anti-establishment figure. I mean, if you're an establishment, I mean, Washington is built on, you know, establishment-oriented policies. I mean, that's the way the city works. So if you're coming in kind of running roughshod over, the, over all of those establishment orthodoxies, I mean, they're not going to embrace that. Yeah, let him in. I mean, he's harmless. No, I mean, you, you expect them to stand solidly against a guy that wants to come in and kind of change the game. But but did the government become involved in the campaign? I mean, that, that's the question that I think we need to pay close attention to once we settle that, and I think James Baker's a key to that. I mean, if James Baker comes before a House Judiciary Committee and answers questions like, Mr. Baker, when you were general counsel to the FBI, 
or one of the lead counsel. I mean, he was not chief counsel. He was, you know, a member of the general counsel team. When you were a member of the um, of the general counsel of the FBI, did you feel it appropriate to converse with Twitter on a daily basis about the Hunter Biden laptop story? I mean, he's under oath, and let's find out, you know, well, I mean, we, you know, you you, you weren't bashful about the Russia disinformation. You weren't bashful about the um, the Russia collusion story. Biden did dismiss that story, Rev, as Russia disinformation. And I got to believe that Biden already knew that Twitter had kind of agreed this was going to be deemed Russian disinformation, that the media, by and large, I mean, I don't know that he knew 20 former intelligence officials were going to put out a misleading letter suggesting that the, um, I mean, what do we call it, the Hunter Biden laptop story? The Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation. Um, but, but Biden had to know he had a little cover as incoherent and cognitive decline as he is. I think if you look him in the eyes for five or 10 or, you know, seconds and say, Joe, look at me and listen, Russia disinformation. When they bring up your son's laptop, Russia, look at me again, Joe, Russia disinformation, (laughs) Russia disinformation. I mean, we know he has trouble being coherent and keeping kind of a, um, a train of thought going here, but, um, but but the New York Times, the New York Post, I'm sorry, the New York Post's account was suspended for two weeks because they put the Hunter Biden laptop story. Kaylee McEnany, her account was locked down because she retweeted the Hunter Biden laptop story, which we now know is 100% accurate. So the only person that lied about the Hunter Biden laptop story on the record are the 20 former intelligence officials and Joe Biden. I mean, Biden basically referred to the 20 intelligence officials. So, so on the record, I mean, there have been a lot of opinions, innuendo, rumors, you know, um, he said, she said. But the only two um, voices that I heard on the record were Joe Biden saying that's not true. It's Russia disinformation. It's been proven to be Russia disinformation because 20 former intelligence officials have said it has the classics of Russia disinformation. Let's take a break. We'll be back. In just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting that the um, the guy that gets accused for destroying all of our institutions was the guy that exposed those who are willing to destroy all of our institutions. You know, I, I get accused of being Trump, but, you know, I mean, tr- Trump was a different political animal, still is a very different political animal. But the one thing I think Trump has been undeservedly blamed for is the guy that destroyed all the institutions. Um, Trump forced their hand. I mean, really and truly, when you look at Trump, I mean, the, the, the one, I mean, to me, the legacy of Donald Trump will always be um, the guy that won and nobody inside the belly of the beast wanted to win and what their willingness was to do to stop him from winning again or to be ses- successful while he was the president. To suggest that Trump was the guy that destroyed the institutions is crazy. I mean, that's nonsense. The, the ones that destroy the institutions were the ones that refused to allow to, uh, themselves to accept that Trump was duly elected and, he was and deserved to be president of the United States. What they're up to. Well, I mean, they went to extremes. I mean, I expected some of this. Remember when I said, if you think they're going, or I think Steve Bannon said it, but I said, look, winning the, winning the, the presidency is part of the battle. I mean, there's going to be a lot of blood on knuckles and dirt under fingernails and I'm mean, an insert analogy here, but there's going to be a battle. And I mean, it, we, we've proven that or it's been proven to be, to be true. But, um, but when Trump gets accused 
of being dangerous and, you know, an assault on these in institutions and, you know, changing the norms. I mean, 20 intelligence officers who are probably getting a retirement check from we, the taxpayer, um, 20 of those folks basically put their reputations on the line by saying, um, you know, Trump is a foreign agent. He's a spy. I mean, there's nothing to see here with the Hunter Biden um, laptop. And I'm talking about the John Brennans of the world. I mean, I just hope that once the Republicans, and I guess, you know, as um, as disappointed as I am in what I think is going to happen today in Georgia and what happened in Arizona, what happened in Nevada, what happened in Pennsylvania, that there's still some reason to be encouraged, and that is the, the Republicans will have the majority in the House. They've got a very aggressive chairman of the judiciary and, and, um, and Jim Jordan, and, and let's get John Brennan. Let's get Clapper. Let's get, you know, some of these um, some of these intelligence agents that worked hand-in-hand against the Trump presidency, against the, um, the Trump re-election bid, and let's find out what their motivation was. I mean, if you, why are you so motivated? I think we know. Well, I mean, sure we know. I, I know, Rev. I, I don't think we do know. Really? I think, I think you think we know, and I think mm-hmm. we know, but I don't think we have a clue how deep this is. I don't, have, I don't think you and I can begin to it, it fathom. Would, it would even shock oh, us. Oh, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, mean, I think that it's, it's, just, it's so deep and, and, and institutionalized wow. that it would freak us out to realize how bought and sold our government is and, and you know, where the money goes, where the money comes from. I mean, following the money is what we got to pay closest attention to. So when John Brennan or John, you know, John Bolton, I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, John Bolton was asked on Meet the Press by Chuck Todd, I mean, the thing Todd always asked these these Republican operatives, would you consider a you know a run against Donald Trump as an American? I mean, who in their right mind would vote John Bolton as president? <laughs> but I mean, why would Chuck Todd? I mean, if Chuck Todd's a serious journalist, which he's not, but if he were, he would never ask a guy like John Bolton, would you consider a run at the White House? Because John Bolton waits for that question. John Bolton has waited all of his life for somebody to think enough of him and his capacities to ask the question, would you consider running for president of the United States? And then Todd knows that. I mean, Todd knows Bolton has no chance at all to be a legitimate candidate for president. But Todd knows that Bolton's been around the city a long time. He's carried a lot of water. He's done a lot of unsavory things in the name of the military-industrial complex. And this is how he gets rewarded. He gets rewarded by a big paycheck and pension and getting invited to the right cocktail parties. But the ultimate reward is someone asking him, you know, would you consider running for president? What about John Bolton deserves being asked that question? The guy's never run for county council, city council, mayor, state house, but you're going to ask him would he consider running for president of the United States? Does anybody have any idea what Bolton's popularity is in the Republican primary voter orbit? I mean, it's horrible. It's ridiculous. But once again, that's the way the game is played. But when you say you think we know, I don't think we can fathom. I think it would scare the immortal daylights out of us if we knew how dark and dastardly some of the deals that were made between the intelligence communities and and foreign governments and the military-industrial complex. That's where it leaves being Democrat or Republican. I mean, I think Twitter and Facebook in particular were motivated by getting liberals elected. Because they're by and large liberal. 99.4% of all um, political contributions made by Twitter employees were made to Democrats. I mean, that's, that's, that's mind-boggling to me. I mean, if you've got a workforce that monolithic, 
I mean, you know what is going to happen. I mean, they're going to take advantage of. I mean, nobody checks anybody at the door. When, when a liberal at Twitter says, I think Trump sucks. I mean, there's nobody there to say, no, he doesn't. When a, when a liberal at Twitter or Facebook say, you know, those conservatives need to be taught a lesson, there's nobody there to contradict that monolithic worldview. And that's dangerous. But once again, Reb, they have a right to do that. I mean, they have every right to operate in the free market space as they see fit. And, you know, we like to say, well, just don't use it anymore. Don't, don't, don't go on Twitter anymore. Don't go to Facebook any longer. Um, it doesn't bother me because I know who I'm dealing with. I mean, they're liberally, they're, they're liberal oriented, liberal centered. And that's just, I mean, that's how they're going to be for as long as, as they've been there. My problem is who goes to Twitter or Facebook and says, we need you to do these things for us, not in the name of a campaign, but rather in the name of a government agency. That's what we need to find out. Let's get that answered. Let's find out if James Baker, as general counsel, counsel for the FBI, went to Twitter to get a favor done. I mean, that, that's suppressing free speech because he's operating not as a private actor, but, but a public actor. That's a big deal. Baker could have major problems if we prove that. The FBI obviously has major problems if we prove that. But the biggest story of all, is Joe Biden the big guy? I mean, you want to break it down to one sentence, one easy-to-understand soundbite. Is Joe Biden the big guy? We've never investigated whether he is or not. But I've got a feeling Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee will. Back in a minute. Welcome back. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've not talked with Fox News Radio's Tanya Powers in a bit, but she's on the phone with us this morning. Good morning, Tanya. How are you? Hey, good morning. So um, so we make up words pretty consistently here at Wake Up Carolina. <laughs> we Southerners have a way of combining six or eight words into one, and I've taken the opportunity to declare hope-timism a word. Why say hopeful and optimistic when you can say hope-timistic? And I was hoping someone like you and the high-flying uh, global media would, would, would kind of be drawn to my word. But I hear that goblin mode has beat out hope-timism for the word of the year. How can that be, Tanya, when I so depended honestly, on you? Honestly, I, okay, first of all, that, that last part is you may be put a little more stock in, in my ability than, than is there. Um, but, but I'm telling you, your work is fantastic. I love that. And, and uh, I honestly believe that more people would pick that up. I think it needs to. I think you need to start a campaign for that one because seriously, that's a great word. Okay, but but um, but it's not as good as goblin mode. That's two words. <laughs> the hell does goblin mode mean? <laughs> that's what I've been getting a lot today. Is what is this? What is this term? I've never heard of this. A lot of people haven't. Um, it is the definition, uh, according to the Oxford uh, English Dictionary, is a type of behavior which is unapolog- unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. Let me break that down for you a little bit. Um, it is, the trend has been, uh, especially on social media, for everybody to put forth their their best look, right? You're, you're showing the 5K that you finished, and you're showing the, or the marathon or whatever, you're showing the, you know, the things that you're, that you're doing to like make your, make yourself better, you know, stuff like that. Um, this is the opposite. It is basically encouraging people to lean into their uncurated 
uh, more self-indulgent, sometimes mischievous things. Um, this goblin mode is basically where it's the opposite of the, the carefully curated image you want to project on social media of, like I said, you're doing all of the right things. You're, you're drinking your water, you're meal prepping, you're, you know, all of that kind of stuff. This is, I'm surrounded by takeout containers. I'm still in my pajamas. It's four in the afternoon and I'm on hour seven of the crown. I mean, that's, you know, that's, it's kind of like you're, this is not the part that you would put on social media normally. Good deal. Well, that's reality, but it's reality. There, there you go. I mean, <laughs> yeah, nobody's plate looks that perfect. Nobody's life is that unreal. Now, I would challenge Tanya yeah. to use the word optimism in one of her Fox News reports on the national network and see how that goes over. Get this girl fired, man. I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness, she, she speaks with a prestigious people accepted. around the country. I really, I'm not. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, I think this is this word is too good to. Uh, I, you know me. I'm a linguistic freak, so mm -hmm. I, I think this is fantastic, and I, I applaud you. And I'm I'm going to use this in a sentence. Maybe not on the air, okay. but I will definitely be borrowing this from you, and I will give you credit. Well, good deal. Sneak well, it in, and we'll, well, we'll hear well, how it goes. I'll be a true sport and give in this year to <laughs> Goblin Mode, but I expect optimism. <laughs> Um, I hope Tanya Powers will push hard <laughs> for the powers to be at Sneak Fox News. News. There you go. Thank you, Tanya. Appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, goblin mode. Sounds like my house six days of the week. <laughs> 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Here's uh, Bruce and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, guys. Uh, Four o'clock in the afternoon in my uh, sweatpants. It sounds like being retired. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I am. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, talking about Trump, you know, I think he was uh, one of the greater presidents, uh, um, certainly along the lines of Kennedy back in his days and Reagan. Uh, I think, though, that Trump is his own worst enemy. I think uh, he needed to be taken off Twitter, uh, you know, uh, uh, a handler or whatever needed to take Twitter away from him. But I think people were afraid of him because he got things done. Um I voted for him, and I voted for him both times. Do I think the election was, was stolen? I think there was some nefarious activities. But here's my question to you guys. Let's suppose that it is proven that Trump did win the election. Then what? We, we can't go back two years. You know, um, can you imagine the, the, the riots or the, the social unrest if it was to come out to say, yes, President Trump did win the election back in 2020, he is the duly elected president, Joe Biden is a farce. I just can't imagine what would happen. Now, as far as, is Joe Biden a big guy? I think if you've got half of a brain cell, you know that, yes, that is the case. He was a big guy. But again, what What's going to happen if it's proven that he was the big guy? What's going to happen if all this stuff that we're, we're reading about and hearing about with Hunter and, and all his shady activities and, and Joe getting kickbacks and all that is true? What next? That's kind of an interesting take. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. You know, I embrace the disrupt, I don't know, the change agent, the political disruptor. I mean, to me, that, that was my, I mean, I don't want to say I didn't care about Trump's policies because I did, but I felt, as I've repeated this week, that the government had become ungovernable. And if the government is ungovernable, I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I hear from business people who are in situations they can't make any sense of. And it's not just the federal government, guys. I mean, the government will never, ever control itself. 
somebody has to disrupt that reality from the outside looking in. I told the story, and I'll tell it again, that there's a particular person in Florence that has a one-man electrical company. I mean, it's him. He'll hire a helper every now and then if he gets a bigger-than-normal job. He's got a pickup truck and a trailer. He backs his pickup truck in his driveway. His trailer stays connected because he leaves Monday through Friday to do his thing, to earn his living. On Saturday and Sunday, he'll cut the trailer loose, so to speak, beside the driveway. He's being charged for having, I mean, he's breaking some some um, city code. He's not allowed to have that trailer. So he gets a, um, a communique from the city of Florence about breaking the city ordinance or city code. He says, well, I don't know what to do. It's how I make my living. That's where all my, my tools are in that truck, in that trailer. I mean, that, that's basically my, my free enterprise. The person says, I don't care. I mean, that you're in violation of city code X, Y, and Z. In the interim, they hear dogs barking in the backyard. They walk to the person's backyard, and he can have um, he can have a maximum of three dogs, and he's got four. So he's in violation of of uh, basically some I don't know Rev. It's not a homeowner ordinance. It's a um, or homeowner association ordinance that there's some like code, city code? In, the, in the city of Florence that says okay. you got to have a trailer put at a certain place. And the and the code official, city employee, from what I'm told, said, um, could you could one of your friends? Outside of the city allowed. So, so you mean I got to leave my house every morning, go get my trailer, hook to my trailer. Uh, it's just, it complicates our life. And that's the, the point I'm trying to make. And all of a sudden, the government's going to say you can't have but three dogs in your backyard. You can't have, you can't have four. I saw a story yesterday on one of these um, conservative websites. There's a man who cooks chicken on Saturday. And he feeds a lot of the people in the neighborhood. It's kind of his thing. He cooks barbecue chicken on Saturday morning. One of his neighbors doesn't like that. So the neighbor goes to a city council member, and, and the city council member agrees that this is disruptive, that the stench and smell makes its way across the um, And all of a sudden, a city official pays him a visit three or four months later after the city votes on some ordinance or code that says, you, you know, the, you, you, you got to keep the smell in your yard, so to speak. I mean, the absurdity of that. And and we wonder why people are so angry and frustrated and bothered by this ungovernable government. And that's what it is, guys. And somebody has to stand against that. Somebody has to be brave and courageous enough to say, no, I'm going to barbecue chickens and you do what you got to do. I mean, if you got to call law enforcement to put me in handcuffs because I'm barbecuing chicken in my front yard and I can't keep the smell out of my neighbor's yard. I mean, is that where we are? But there's got to be some commonsensical approach to this. An electrician with a pickup and a trailer can't leave his trailer connected Monday through Friday while he goes out and makes a living? I mean, the the absurdity of this. So I am all about the the, the change agent, the political disruption. Here's, Here's the misnomer, that Trump is the disruptor. Trump is the chaos. No, I disagree with that. The, the maximum chaos has been those who respond to Trump. When Trump tries to change things, when Trump says things that are against the standard norm establishment narrative, the, the attack that ensues, the attack that follows, that's the chaos. I mean, yeah, Trump says some things that you scratch your head about. But somebody engages, and all of a sudden you have a punch and a counterpunch. 
and then chaos kind of ensues, and it looks like the whole system is in meltdown and out of control. Uh, maybe Trump initiates some of it, but did Trump really initiate all of it? I mean, if I'm Trump, I'd say, look, investigate my family. Investigate my business dealings. I mean, they're doing that with, with, with their dying last breath. I mean, they're going to investigate every business arrangement Donald Trump has ever had. I mean, the, um, the district attorney in New York City found out that Trump told the bank buildings were worth one thing and the, the, the assessor they were worth something else. Now, once again, Trump's not the assessor. The assessor has a job to do. That's take Trump at his word or take Trump team at his word or not. And if he's not, uh, if he doesn't have the degree of expertise to evaluate what the building's worth, then he doesn't, be, he doesn't need to be an assessor in New York City, right? I mean, would we agree to that? Sure, but course. right now, that's all we know about Trump, that Trump may have misrepresented values to either the bank or the government as what their valuations were. Now, but that's as old as dirt. Find a business guy who doesn't do that, who doesn't want maximum appraisal when he's borrowing money and minimum appraisal when he's paying taxes. I mean, that, that's always been the case. There's always been a yin and a yang and a negotiating back and forth. But, but only Trump gets called out on this. I mean, do you believe of the real estate agents in Columbia, the real estate agents in Washington, the real estate agents in state capitals around our country, do you really believe they've never done any of that? But there was a different rule that applied to Trump. And I'll not defend a lot of Trump's pronouncements. I mean, I think he could have been more effective than he was. I think the caller was right. He got in his own way a lot of times. I mean, it was self-inflicted. It was a friendly fire. I mean, you, you'd like leave there going, like, why did he think that made any sense to say? I mean, eating dinner, you know, with, with these two, why would you do that? I mean, you're a candidate for president. Why would you say something? Why would you post something on True Social that, that contradicts the, the Constitution? I mean, that's just, that's irresponsible. That's reckless. That's an unforced error. But, but for those who believe that Trump brought about all this chaos, I just refuse to buy that. I mean, when Trump says these things and, and, and goes about these actions, somebody responds, and it's normally somebody embedded in the bowels of government, and they're in self-protection mode, and they're not looking after the best interests of the country. They're looking after that government agency, and that's where the chaos ensues. And then the concern I have, and I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but I know where I'll end up. I always do. The concern I have is it's become more lucrative to do what government says do and far more dangerous to do what to not do what government says do. I mean, and, and imagine our country. Imagine our founding. Imagine, imagine by design. I mean, yeah, I mean, imagine our history. I mean, we ended up 235 or 40 years after the fact become a nation where people are rewarded for doing exactly what government says do. Don't buck the government, man. I mean, you don't want to end on the bad side of that fight or that affair, or that battle. And that's insane. I mean, the last thing the government should want is, a pick, is to pick a fight with its people. But that's what government does every single day, in every single municipality, in every single county, in every single state of this great nation. Free enterprise, free thinking, um, a little civil disobedience, exercising your liberties and freedoms without the constraints of a um, an ever-consuming and ever-growing government. I mean, to me, that's we should be on the side of those who are basically tell the, telling the government, "I'm not doing it the exact way." I mean, the, the electrician. I mean, he's got to be he's got to be a little bit nervous. I don't want to pick a fight with the government, but but the electrician must at some point in time say, "No, I'm not I'm not doing anything with my trailer." 
My truck and my trailer are parked on my property, and that's the way it's going to stay. And if you guys want to put me in jail for the rest of my life, then put me in jail for the rest of my life. Make some of these government officials make real tough decisions. But instead, we, the people, have been conditioned to conform, and we've been told and led to believe, and then it's proven. When the guy refused to close his restaurant at the beach, remember that during COVID? Oh, yeah. I mean, did, did they send DHEC to see him? No. Nope. They sent SLED to see him. I mean, you don't believe that was intentional? Of course it was. We'll teach him a lesson. He will not disobey government. If he does, DHEC doesn't show up. SLED does. You know what SLED has? Police cars and handcuffs and guns and the right to arrest you. I mean, is that really what we want? But is that really and truly, I mean, once again, I go back to the comment. The founders intended this cozy campfire of government. The cozy campfire is turned into a raging inferno that consumes every right and liberty you have, and they won't stop themselves. They never will. Trump was the disruptor that I think woke people up and said, I don't have to do it exactly the way government says I must. But what did government do? It double, triple, quadruple down. How many people in Biden's sphere are in prison? How many people in, in Trump's are? I mean, the January 6th commission, go back and read some of the charges. Sedition, treason, not a single gun charge. Conspiracy to insurrect without a gun. I mean, how many people in that building that day are, are law abiding gun owners how many people had guns i mean they but they're going to teach us a lesson in them they want us to see yourself here's what happens to you if you choose to disobey your government and you better think long and hard before you agree to disobey your government i mean that's a travesty as far as mm -hmm. i'm concerned i'm not defending kicking doors down and busting windows out of a building that doesn't belong to you there should be trespassing that there should be some other charges, but but there's not a single gun charge, and some guy got charged last week. I'll pull the story with basically trying to overthrow a government. I mean, if if you read the you know the the definition, the legal definition of the crime he's charged with, it's basically to stop the peaceful transfer of power. Nobody had a gun, so people to be in charge with a peaceful excuse me with, with trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power but there's not a single gun charge. But we have been conditioned to be afraid of our government and the majority of people have become more rewarding of being afraid of our government. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Uh, hey, uh, so, so first, um, seditious conspiracy, you, you know, do you need to have a gun to commit that? No, you don't. And, you do know that the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys had their guns staged with what they called a rapid deployment force, right? You, will you acknowledge that they had guns? No, not not at all, not at all. They left their guns. No, no, not not no, not at all. That that you're you're telling me they went there with the intent to overthrow the government. Yes, they did. That's absurd. That that's absurd. They actually have they have recordings of them saying it. And, and the plan was very simple. Mike Pence was going to exert 
uh, uh, constitutional authority that they thought he had, and it was going to take it out of you know the, the voters' hands and put it back into the state legislature's hands. If Mike Pence would have done what they wanted them to, they would not have needed their guns. Why would you bring a gun to a pen fight? But you're, that's a okay. hypothetical. You're charging somebody no, with a no, hypothetical. Pence never intended to do what you're suggesting he do. Jeff, let's take a break. I don't no, want to cut Pence. you off. Hey, hey, hang on. We got a short break here. We'll be back on the other side. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Fox News Radio's Jeff Benasso is in Chicago. He's with us this morning. Jeff, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning. So having a big uptick in sales of uh, firearms in Oregon as we await a judge's decision on a gun control law. What sort of decision are we awaiting, Jeff? Yeah, whether or not to delay it by a couple of months because law enforcement, the state just isn't ready for it. Uh, so, so firearm sales have exploded across the state. Uh, over Measure 114, a bill that would ban ammunition mags of more than 10 rounds and mandates the creation of uh, a permit-to-purchase system that includes fingerprinting, uh, hands-on firearm training, uh, and, and that, that's got to be certified by law enforcement. And law enforcement says, look, we are not ready. Um, obviously, it's a permitting process that, that it could also take up to five years with new background checks required for each gun purchase. And so... Uh, people are flocking to uh, to get in there and, and to get firearms under the Second Amendment uh, before the state law there in Arizona, Arizona, uh, Oregon, uh, cracks down. A judge is set to decide this week whether or not, uh, per the Attorney General's request to delay by two months, whether or not that's going to happen. Um, but uh, but yeah, so law enforcement says, look, we're, we're just not ready. This is a law that uh, that, that passed or a measure that passed by by voters uh in the november election by less than a half point and uh and, and it's already being fought by the nra and others so whether or not a judge makes a decision uh to delay uh it's still gonna you know wind up uh you know through a long court process very interesting thank you for the explanation jeff appreciate your time you have a great day okay let's go back is jeff still there yep okay let's go back to jeff hey jeff hey guys um so, uh, Stuart Rhodes is on record, recorded, talking about the guns that they had staged to bring into the Capitol. Okay. It, it, it's, he was just found guilty. I mean, say what you want. Jerry, of your peers, convicted this man of some seditious conspiracy. You, you, you acknowledge that, right? Sure I do, but I, I don't acknowledge it all. I mean, the public testimony of the grand jury hearing says they left the guns in hotels in Washington, excuse me, in Virginia, because they knew how strict the city's gun laws were in Washington, D.C. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but there's this media talk about their quick reaction force, but they left their guns in the hotel rooms in Virginia because they were so nervous about how strict the Washington, D.C. gun laws are. They have nobody's been charged. You're right. I mean, there's 10 people, if I'm not mistaken, might be 11 in total, that have been accused of conspiring uh, opposing uh, by force of authority. I mean, their, their words, not mine, by, to oppose by force of the authority of the government of the United States and by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States. Um, so the argument that Matthew Graves said, the U.S. attorney in District of Columbia, um, says that they were there to stop the peaceful transfer of power. I'm arguing that they were not, and there was not a single weapon charge. You'll accept that. 
There, there's not been a single weapons charge in any of these folks charged with seditious conspiracy. No, other people have had weapons charges. But but none of these 11 that have been charged with seditious conspiracy have any weapons charged against them. No. Okay, so they were going to stop the peaceful transfer of power with no weapons. They left their weapons in Virginia to not violate the Washington, D.C. gun laws. If they were truly trying to overthrow government, they wouldn't have given a rat's ass about Washington, D.C. gun laws. So, so, so again, you know, if you look at the totality of it, here's a group of people asking Roger Stone for pardons, right, to, to ask Trump for pardons. They did that. Here's a group of people who said, by whatever means, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna force Trump. In, in their minds, this is what they thought: Trump has to get Pence to do the right thing. I mean, look, you don't, you don't watch the January sixth committee hearings, right? You, you haven't watched any of it. No, I'll start watching right? in January when you have a, an impartial attempt to get to the truth. Okay. So you, you haven't heard Rhodes's tapes. You haven't heard them actually, you know, the recordings of them with their discussions about what they were doing. Yeah, right? I've heard that in other places, not the January 6th Commission. Okay. I've heard that at other places. Okay, so so you acknowledge that their intent, and I think that's what you said the law says, correct? That their intent was to get Pence to not do what he did. No, no, no. Their intent was to be ready if Pence didn't do what he what what Trump wants? That's total to speculation, Jeff. I mean, I don't disagree no, that you can't. Said it. No, no, <laughs> but 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 Jeff, if they are there to over, if they are there to stop the peaceful transfer of power by any means necessary, seditious conspiracy, why did they leave the guns in Virginia? They said it was Rhodes is on tape saying it was a mistake not to take their guns. But he didn't. I mean, I understand what he's saying, but but the truth is that your argument your argument is that they went there to stop the peaceful transfer of power, but they didn't carry their guns. And if they were there to ultimately stop the peaceful transfer of power by any means necessary, they would have had their guns with them. Hey, so just let me ask you this, and 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 yeah, I, I'm saying they didn't bring their guns, and they intended to do what they said they were going to do, okay? And it didn't win. When the Confederacy was formed and the state seceded from the United States government, did they bring guns to the Capitol when they when they voted to do that? Ah, uh, I, I couldn't tell you that. I mean, I don't have any you know idea. They didn't. You know they didn't. Okay, they did it with a pen. They They split the United States in half with a vote and a pen. You don't need guns to commit uh, seditious conspiracy. You don't need so, guns. But, but, but stick with me for a second, Jeff. So what legal authority did the Oak? I mean, the, the, the Confederacy had a legal authority. I mean, they, they, they were actually involved in the dissolution of a union or not. That the Oath Keepers are simply, I mean, a fringe organization that has a set of worldviews that aren't consistent with mine. I mean, I'll go on the record. I mean, I, you know, I don't associate. Uh, with Oath Keepers, I mean, I, I know what they stand for, what they believe in. I mean, to me, they're far on the fringes. But but, but to suggest that they were there to stop the, the, the ultimate transfer of power by any means necessary is not consistent with the truth. They have no legislative authority. They have no dog okay. in that fight. There's nothing they can do but use brute force. And they went there with a very limited capacity of brute force by leaving their guns behind in Virginia. Okay, 
So, so just unpack what you said there. Okay. They went there with that intent. They just did it badly. Is that what you're saying? Is that the argument? No, I think they went there trying to scare Pence or to intimidate Pence into not doing what it is he intended to do. And I'm with you. I don't think the Constitution, and I said it the day of and the day after, and Rev and formerly Cato was here, that they both got a little aggravated with me when I said Pence doesn't have the authority to do what Trump wants him to do. The Constitution doesn't allow him to do what Trump is asking him to do. Right. You just, and that's true, but you just said what they said, intimidating Pence, that's against the law. You realize. Sure, sure, but is it seditious conspiracy? We'll charge them with intimidation, charge them with trespassing. No, no, no. It's it's to prevent, if you read the law, it is to prevent the government officials from being able to perform their activities. That's the constitutional job. Uh, let, let, let me ask you a question. Has. You've asked me a lot of questions. Let, let me ask you one. Sure. Is, is, yeah. the, is, our, is our democratic republic so fragile that 10 members of the Oath Keepers can stop the peaceful transfer of power? I mean, is that where America is? So, so if, if it was just the 10 members, I mean, no, it wouldn't be. But it wasn't. It was Josh Hawley. It was. Um, you think Josh Hawley was on board was, with with stopping the peaceful transfer of power? It was yes, Ronnie Jackson. Based That's on a fist pump. Were, I mean, is that what you're basing that on a fist pump? No, no. Based based on communications that they were having. You you the oath keepers. You say they're Jeff. You don't believe you that. Know. You 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 don't honestly believe that the junior senator, soon to be senior senator from Missouri, was there to stop the peaceful transfer of power. Absolutely, yes, they were. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and listen, it's did they not vote to do it? And and Democrats have voted in the past to do it also. Well, that's where I was and, headed. I mean, that, that's happened, uh, our history is full of those kind of votes, Jeff. I mean, our history is full of those kind of votes, refusing to right. certify the outcome of an election. That Refusing to certify the outcome of an election doesn't mean you're, you're involved in a coup against the government and trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power. Okay, and, and, and I'll say this to you. You don't think January 6th was unprecedented? <sighs> no, we, we've, had, we've had examples of that before. Okay, I would love for you to find me one picture of something like that. One. I would love one in the history books. If you, if you would have scrubbed the Trump off those flags, okay, and you would have take all that out and, and, and delete the sound and show that video to anybody in history, the Founding Fathers, Lincoln, um, Roosevelt, um, are you talking president. about the video that includes law enforcement, Capitol City Police escorting intruders into the Capitol? I mean, is that part of the video? Yeah. Removing barricades, opening doors, telling people please get off the desk, um, stop, you know, don't don't mess with that. Don't. I mean, is that is that part of the video you want to show? I, I, look, show the video with no 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 shouting, hang Mike Pence, no shouting. Where's Nancy? We're going to hang her by. Uh, but but I mean, are we going yeah. to also include the video that shows Capital City police sure, officers sure. opening yeah. doors and allowing intruders to come in and walk around the building and law enforcement officers and officials saying, please take your feet off that desk, sir? 
are you are you actually making you're you're not making the it was a normal tour no and i'm not i'm not defending the actions jeff that's unfair you've never heard i mean i condemned that on day one i condemn it today but there's a difference in being rambunctious out of control kicking windows and doors down and being charged with seditious conspiracy and 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 not everybody was charged with that were they no, but 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 I mean, people are trying to treat the events of January 6th as if they were a genuine insurrection. I've never believed that for a second. Right, and, and I'm just saying, like, take your emotion, take, and I'm just asking your opinion. If they were to show that video without any sounds, and you can put in the uh, peaceful guy, the guy like opening a door so they don't smash it down. Okay, you can you can show them removing the bike stand so they don't get trampled by the mob as they came in, like some of their coworkers did. Okay, but you can do all that. Would anybody think that that wasn't an insurrection if they just like what would Abraham Lincoln? That's that's to to me it's a riot. I mean it's 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 a it's a rob it's it's a mob gone bad. Let me ask you this, and then I'll let you go because I got to move on. Sure. who was the only person killed on site? Who was the only person? I mean, there, there was one site? death. I mean, yeah. the, the confrontation. Would, okay, yeah, did she deserve yeah. to die? Uh, look, man, you know you can't make the argument. Don't run from the cops and, and expect not to get shot. But, but did she deserve for, for to die? I mean, an unarmed protester. Yeah, I mean, if you don't listen to law enforcement, you you bring it on yourself. Okay, right? fair enough. Fair enough. Isn't that the argument? Yeah, I, mean, that, I don't Isn't know if that's the, the argument, argument you make. Always made? I, I just want to be no, consistent here. I, I just, always. I'd like for you to be consistent. I mean, it, so, so if someone does not obey law enforcement, they should be shot and killed. Um, if if they're if they're putting if they're coming forward at you, absolutely. Okay, if they're running away from you. You know. Okay, I, I do believe in that, but I did want to ask you. I, I like your take on Hunter Biden, right? With the, um, you know, you're not interested in the sensationalism. I'm not. I don't, I I could, I mean, to me, it's a tragedy, but it really is. I don't see, I don't like to see anybody's family struggle with that. Right. And, and so your, your take on Twitter, let me ask you a question. How do you just impose like a band like Twitter and the Democrats, they work together. How do you, do you see the parallels with Trump and the National Enquirer, the catch and kill story release? Uh, do you see a parallel with Fox News and, and the Trump White House working together during his administration on story suppression and messaging? I'll answer that Did on the other know? side. we got to take a break. We're behind a bit. I gave you plenty of time, and you know I did. we got a Jeff segment of our edition, <laughs> our wake-up. It's always good. I mean, I enjoy talking to Jeff. I really and least. truly do. Take a break. Back in a minute. Four three six six one zero nine three seven. Rev owns every second of that cute 
<laughs> Christmas song. What's wrong with that? Is that Jimmy Buffett? Yeah. Okay. Mele Kalikimaka. Sounded a little bit like Buffett. <laughs> Not much, but a little bit like Jimmy Buffett. A couple of callers are there. Let's go to the phone. Ashley in Poston's Corner. Hey, Ashley. Yeah, good morning, fellas. By the way, Josh Turner does a better version of that. Does he really? Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, yeah. He's got it on the Christmas page. Okay. I need to check that out. Josh is one of us. That's right. That is correct. Good, sir. <laughs> um, Going back to Jeff. Uh, and I'm, Jeff will never understand until his people get affected like our does, until his side does. So my... My, my my point is, is that when we do get in power, in full power, we be just as punitive as they are. Parents in Virginia getting FBI probes, people that were just at the protest, not, not inside, not any of that, getting probed. We should go to the school teachers that are teaching CRT, take, take all of the education stuff out, take... Just wipe them clean. FBI, replace the people we want to replace. CIA, replace the people we want to replace. EPA, replace. Until that other side feels the punitive nature, they'll never understand the other side. And that's all I got. I'll take it off the air. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate that. And, and, I mean, you know, I've said this over the airways before. Um my, my wife and I have these political conversations from time to time. Not much because she's heard me. She's watched me run for office and, and be in politics, and she just kind of accepts it as what it is. But but not long ago, when I told Rev this, not long ago I told her that I was real discouraged about the state of affairs. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I just, I mean, I'm convinced I was born 100 years too late. Everything that I believe in, everything that is important to me, everything that I believe leads the country in a more positive direction it's not in vogue anymore. I mean, it's just, you know, the rugged individualism, um, the worth ethic, the, the celebrated work ethic. Um, you take care of your business, I take care of mine. Um, standing against the government at certain turns and certain um, situations. I mean, that, you know, we, we've had this, I don't know, it's an accelerant of the mindset of those who see the world in a more woke, politically correct way. I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. I mean, we've accelerated. I always accepted. I mean, I didn't know it was called wokeism. I mean, I remember as, as a younger person going, I, I just don't understand that. I mean, I don't get why they believe that is the best way to do whatever it is they're trying to do. But you take the acceleration of wokeism and political correctness, and this is less conservative Democrat, more about liberties and freedoms, and a, uh, a government that I argue is becoming ungovernable. The, the small campfire is turning into this, you know, and then I think that is so articulate. That's not my, um, I mean, I, I didn't come up, I didn't coin that phrase. I mean, that's something I read, you know, that our founders intended to have a cozy campfire of government. That cozy campfire has turned into a raging inferno. Well, when, when it's a raging inferno, chaos ensues. And there've been some people who have done a magnificent job at feeding at the trough of government. I mean, there, there's some companies and individuals and uh, public sector entities that have positioned themselves amazingly well. So the last thing they want to see is kind of an uprising of anti-wokeism or anti-political correctness or, or kind of a political disruptive um, agent. I mean, I, I believe that's why the majority of higher education folk don't support Donald Trump. I mean, Trump's not anti-education by any stretch, but he's anti-status quo. And then there's been certain groups and people and businesses that have benefited enormously from what? 
the way government works. And I just don't like that. I mean, I don't think that's in the country's best interest. So when we go back to Jeff and my debater, or, the you know, Jeff and um, mine and Jeff's debate, I want to be grammatically, um, somewhat grammatically correct. Don't care if I miss it a bit, but I don't want to miss it a mile. <laughs> um, when, when we get to a place where the Justice Department's definition of seditious conspiracy does not require proof of this elaborate plan and a scheme um, that, that, you know, months and years in advance, um, no evidence of any um, heavy artillery or heavy weaponry, um, you know, no attempts to injure or kill anyone. I mean, obviously there was an attempt by some in that crowd to stop, you know, the vice president from doing his constitutional uh, once the election, excuse me, once the state certified to me, I mean, I get the other side. There's an interpretation that says not, but I don't think uh, Pence had any choice. Was the state certified the election? I think that train had left the, the station. That horse had left the proverbial barn. But but my, my complaint is much deeper, and I got to believe that there are people out there who feel like I do, but just honestly don't know how to express themselves, or they never thought about expressing themselves. I love the notion of a cozy campfire. I respect the idea of government. I don't like a government that believes they have a right to tell a, a, a one-man electrician crew or business where he can or cannot park his truck. And he's in violation of having a trailer hooked to his truck. But that, I just don't believe the founders ever intended of that to be the case. I think there's a reason to be responsible. I think there's a reason to be practical about it. I mean, if the guy had you know, his yard full of trucks and trailers and they were out of the corner of the road and, you know, prohibiting traffic from flowing as it should, then sure. I mean, I think that's where the cozy campfire comes in. But but the point I've tried to consistently make on this show is government is not going to address itself. I mean, government is not going to say, wow, guys, we've got a lot of power. We've got too much influence at, at the state, federal, and local level. We need to pull back some. I mean, nobody in the FBI is going to say, wow, I mean, we've got a lot of authority. Nobody in the IRS is going to say, wow, I mean, do you know what we can and can't? There's not much we can't do when it comes to confiscating people's, you know, income or earnings or, or whatever, wages. I, that's not going to happen. That's against human nature. When human beings have a certain amount of authority or power, the last thing they want to do is willingly give up that authority or power. Time to invoke the lyrics. Rich man, well, rich want man want to be, yeah. I mean, poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. I mean, that's a lyric in Badlands, and I don't think Bruce believed he was talking about government, but it applies to that. And I don't think it's. I mean, I don't think everybody has malice in their heart. I don't think everybody's nefarious by nature. But, but in in all honesty, I mean, if the poor man gets rich, the rich man wants to be king, and the king wants to rule everything. And I think government should be the poor man in this equation. I think the king should be personal liberties and freedoms. And I think the king should be that, that electrician who has a trailer and, and the poor man should be the government. I think the king should be the, the man that owns that business telling the government official, that's, get out of my yard. That's great. I mean, get out of my yard. So who do you right. think you are? I mean, when, when, a, when a city agent walks up to a, a barbecue pit and says, you're breaking some code or ordinance. I mean, I, I just think we've got to find some better equilibrium or balance in that. And I've kind of coined the phrase, and I know a lot of people buy this. Ashley just said it a second ago. The government has, by its own nature, become unbelievably punitive. You've got to prove to government, you know, that you didn't do this or you didn't intend that. 
And the onerous or the burden has all of a sudden been shifted from this government agency that believes you broke some code or law into you proving you didn't. And the absurdity of that, the danger of that. Um, and, and once again, if you have a, a place in your heart for government, if you're somewhat sympathetic to government, if you're trusting of government, if you believe bureaucracies are intended to fulfill missions of, um, of you know, kind of, kind of um, ordering society to exist in a certain way, then, then I, you know, I don't know how Jeff's wired. Don't have any idea. The only thing I know about Jeff is we've had these several conversations over the airwaves. I don't know what makes Jeff tick, but, but he has a very different perspective than I do. And when I say I believe I was born 100 years too late, my wife always counters with 100, 200, probably even 300. I just, I believe that America at its best is when the human experience is not controlled or countered to some degree by government. And I think we live in a world now where before people do anything, you start thinking about, you know, what role will government play in this affair? I've told you before. Um, in my business life, the one thing that has changed more than anything, and I've had good partners and bad partners. I've probably been a good partner to bad partner at times in some of these business dealings that I've been in. But but I don't remember 20 years ago giving the government as much consideration as we have to give it today. And when it comes to COVID, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, COVID basically gave the government, or the government seized the authority. COVID didn't do anything. COVID didn't close business today on, I mean, the government's reaction to COVID did this, right? I mean, if you go back and look at the data now, Sweden got it better than anybody. Remember, we had a big debate about Sweden and how they were breaking the norm or doing things their own way. But but the point I'm making is, when we designed or, or, or kind of concocted a business idea 20 years ago, it was all about the employee. You know, the, um, the salary, the wage, it was about the location. It was about, uh, you know, it, it was, it, I mean, the government was always a part of it, but all of a sudden the government has become a bigger deal now. In other words, um, you're going to start a business, you need employees, you need, you know, you need investment, you need capital, you need to build a building at every turn. Government is involved in that. We got to buy this building, got to upfit this building. Well, we got to do it by international code. You see where I'm headed? I mean, I'll give you an example. I know this to be true. The builders in this state are concerned that the federal government is going to bribe some of the um, some of the code enforcement agencies into adopting these insane regulations about home building. And it's it's, it's all about you know the government being in charge, the government being in control. Um, how many nails? How many braces? How many you know? How many uh, how many pillars? How many columns? And, and the federal government's basically saying, if you implement these um, these stricter guidelines, we'll reward you with $38 million. Well, why wouldn't the government do it? But the next thing you know, the cost of doing business becomes more expensive. The expensive nature of government has to be made up where? In the price of the home or the product or good of which you're offering as your, as your service or, or business idea. And, and the point I'm trying to make is government has always been an element in making a decision. Government's too big an element in making a decision now. In fact, every decision we make in the business world, government is probably the priority. What are the taxes on this? What are the rules and regulations here? What sort of oversight does government have over this project? And I go back to the simple analogy I've used over and over and over again. You've, you've got this tug of war. 
and the government is um, not motivated by the same thing the private sector is. I'm not saying the people in government are any better or not. I mean, I've said this a hundred times and I'll say it 101 times. The people in government are probably as good and decent as the people in the private sector, but they're not motivated by the same thing. They're motivated by two completely and total, totally different things. So you've got this tug of war and every time we pass a law, every time we pass a regulation, every time we pass a stipulation, we empower the government and it's a zero sum game. That power comes from where? The private sector. And I think we're a lot better as a nation when the majority of power and influence rest in the hands of the private sector with some limited oversight. But now it's almost like before you move forward with a business idea or project, you go see the government to make sure you understand how much of this are you going to control? How big a share of this pie are you going to get? And and that's absurd. And that goes back to my belief that there are titanium hinges on the casket that Thomas Jefferson is buried in in Monticello. But if there were not titanium hinges, there's no way Jefferson would stay dead in that casket and grave knowing this is what they fought a revolutionary war over. It's absurd. It's bizarre. But but how many people are willing to just kind of like, well, I mean, you know, I don't like it, but it is what it is. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hello, David. Hey, how you doing, my man? Um, 1954, there was a capital attack with shooting. So that's not unprecedented there. Well, I guess you were saying that, that, that they didn't have any guns there except for the people that shot that lady. But can you know, I want to talk about Herschel Walker. Um, my number one story tonight, do you count early ballots first? or count early ballots last? I don't know in Georgia. I really don't. Okay. Or or are you waiting on postmarks? See, that's what's interesting to me, because I think the media strategy, all I've seen on the media is you got these long lines in urban areas, and I saw these, I, I, and I felt for these little girls, they're 18-year-olds, um, this is the first time I'm going to vote. Um, you know, I'm excited for them first time they're going to vote, but I'm trying to figure out how they got encouraged to vote. Did people just go up to the school and say, hey, who wants to come out and vote? Um, but, you know, a lot of it is obviously an effort to discourage the day of election voters, especially in rural areas. But, you know, I think there's 1.8 million people that have voted already. Uh, there's 3.9 million people voted in that November 8th election. So here's what I'm looking for, because Walker, as bad as they talk about Herschel, he only lost by 36,000 votes. Um, And you've brought this up many times before, that there was 81,000 people that voted for Libertarian candidate, and Kemp got 200,000 more votes than Herschel. And Kemp, being a Georgia grad, and he, he... He's gone out there and he's um, campaigned for it. But I'm just, I'm going to go back to what I said. Do you count early ballots first or count early ballots last? And I want to see the the, the election show integrity with that because it seems like these states that are in question, 
you don't know what the heck's going on. So hopefully this thing's going to end tonight, and I'll say this, and I don't think I've ever said this before, go dogs. <laughs> Thank you, David. Appreciate that. I'll agree. I mean, I'm a big Herschel Walker fan um, tonight. There's a couple of things that aren't going Herschel's way and a couple of things that are. I mean, the macro of Kemp not being on the ballot. I mean, Kemp did campaign, but Kemp's not on the ballot. And apparently Kemp is the most popular politician in Georgia. That includes Donald Trump. That includes Ron DeSantis. Um, they like Kemp in Georgia. They rewarded him at the ballot box for his, um, I don't know, Red, the way he dealt with Trump. Close enough, far enough, close enough, far enough. That, that's some headwinds for, for Walker. Here's the tailwinds. So we were talking a second ago. Will young people come out and vote twice? And, and I think the two things that motivated young people was the abortion issue and the student loan. Well, now do they feel misled? I mean, in, in, in November, we thought or they thought their student debt was going to be forgiven. Now they're finding out the hard way that it's not. So do they feel scorned? Are they feeling misled? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. The, the other is the, um, the occasional voter that voted in November and was motivated by Roe v. Wade is voting once against the overturning of Roe v. Wade enough? In other words, have you validated yourself or do you need to go do it again? Because, I mean, there, there are a lot of ancillaries here. You got Biden and Trump and Sanders and Kemp and personalities and, I mean, you know, politics. I mean, there, there are a lot of these things in play. But, but the two things that I think give Walker a chance are the young people who voted in November believing their student debt was going to be forgiven have now found out that it's not going to be forgiven, do they feel misled to the point that they stay home or better yet vote for the Republican because they did mislead about student debt? And the second thing is, and I, I know this is weird, but it's almost like um, I voted once against Roe v. Wade. That's good enough for me. I mean, I feel good about voting that way one time, but I'm not going out of my way to vote for either of these candidates the second time. I mean, the human condition, we talk a lot about how unpredictable or really an unreliable it is. So um, so those two things, I think, give Walker a chance. I just worry about Stacey Abrams and how good a turnout the vote machine they have built in Georgia, how good a, an absentee or early voting apparatus they built in Georgia. And the, and the Republicans just have to wake up and understand that in some of these states, that's where it all is. I mean, it's in, ballots out, ballots in, votes out, votes in. How do we get our crowd to be counted? And I think the Democrats have done monumentally better than the Republicans have. Take a break. Back in a minute. Okay, I'll let you, I'll let you handle this. I mean, you're, you're kind of the, um, okay. the celebrity expert. I mean, I, I'm a little bit aloof to this. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I don't know. I mean, I just don't know stars as well as a lot of other people do. I don't know personalities. Did you and, not watch Cheers? But I, I may have a time or two or three. I mean, I, I remember the lady now because she had she was kind of like boyfriend girlfriend with Ted Danson. Yeah. We're, right? we're talking about Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley she passed away last year. Seventy one years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, I read that just now. Short battle with cancer. Um, short battle with cancer is still a battle with cancer. Um, it's kind of like what would you rather have? A long battle with cancer or a short battle? I don't want either. And I don't want either. Right. But um, anyway, seventy one years old. Um, and I do remember her being somewhat of an outspoken Republican. I mean, she That's had a right. lot of kind things to say about Trump and the America First movement. But but once again, I am by no means 
I mean, I'm almost the, the, the guy that knows so little about Hollywood and stardom and, you know, I mean, I, I keep up with music. I mean, if it's a music star, I would probably be um, more informed yeah. than, uh, than on some, some of the movies, movie stars. too. She was in a movie with John Travolta. Was that Look Who's Talking series of movies? Okay. I think so. And died of cancer at the age of 71. Yeah. And Cheers was a kind of a um, a generational sitcom. Sure was. A, a wildly popular sitcom where everybody knows your name. How many times have we heard um, that before? She, she played Rebecca. So it's not Christy Alley, but rather Kirstie. Alley. I saw her one time. They had her. They used to have these radio and record conventions where the radio pro- program directors and the record company executives would all get together, and they'd have a a showcase usually, at least one, maybe several showcases. And one year they had her as the MC of the showcase. So I saw her in person at that event. Has been long, of course you did. I mean, I would ago. imagine anybody of stardom you've been you crossed paths <laughs> with before, and he'll tell you about it. He'll oh, drop yeah. names well, at the um at the drop of a dime. Let's go to the phone. <laughs> Just uh, I thought maybe an interesting aside, maybe not so interesting. Okay. Uh, Nick in Lexington, hi, you're on the air. Ken, I'm surprised you don't know Cheers because it's some of the greatest one-liners from Norm when they, you know, Norm. Norm. <laughs> when he walked in the bar, they asked I, him how would a cold beer feel, and he said, pretty damn nervous if I was in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. That, that is a really, really, really good one. I've just always watched sports, and for some stupid reason, I never – Seinfeld is the only sitcom that I really got familiar with, and my wife was kind of a junkie, and it was forced upon me. Uh, didn't have any choice. Well, you were probably driving when it came out, which brings me to another topic. Ken, did you have civics in high school? I did. They don't have civics anymore, and I don't think – I talked to teenagers and even graduates out of college, and they, were, they don't know how a bill becomes a law. I asked a graduate out of college who was our third president. Ken, and she had no clue. What percentage I mean, of we Americans don't understand our history and how we were how the, how we were told and told and told what to do? You know, until we had a problem. You yeah. know, and the the thing the thing that you had with um, your discussion with Jeff, the biggest thing is is you know when we were taught about solicitors, it wasn't about having a winning case. It was bringing the, bringing the people to justice. And I don't think what, what they did with this insurrection was just. Like you said, they overcharged or whatever. I mean, I don't think what they did, you know, the punishment they got is far too excessive. That's what, you know, and I just don't think us teaching civics anymore. You know, we just have a... We have a, we're getting a populace that just does what the government tells you. And that's dangerous. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. And I, and I want to go back to something I said earlier. I mean, to me, they're, they're going down the road. I'm not saying we're there yet, but I mean, we're quickly heading there. We're dissenting voices are considered kind of anti-American, anti-government. They're dealt with in a very different sort of way. I mean, think about where our country came from. I mean, the, the amount of dissent that was allowed in the early days of America and how much dissent was not punished or penalized by an orderly government. And that's my concern. I mean, I mean, I get the civic side of it. I get, you know, the, um, the education of America. I understand 
that we're better served when a higher percentage of Americans understand, you know, the three branches of government. I understand that, that, you know, we wish more people knew that Thomas Jefferson was the third American president. But I think this is deeper than that. I mean, I think this is a, 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 a um, an attempt, a willing attempt to basically try and force a, a, a form of government or a version of government, whether we want it on us or not. And, and here's my concern. It's not what well, it is concerning. It is alarming, but it's not surprising. It's not surprising to me that if you work with the government and are afforded the opportunity to have more influence and, and more power and more authority, that you would take them up on that. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Once again, alarming, concerning, uh, a little bit un-American, but I get it. I mean, if I'm working in the government and I have oversight over something and you're willing to give me more oversight, then I'm more than likely going to take you up on that. It's not, that doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is how little resistance there have been and how willing people were to say about Trump, he's too chaotic, man, he's too much trouble, when in all honesty, the chaos comes when people respond to Trump. I mean, Trump was rambunctious. Trump was and is a political anomaly. Donald Trump is a disruptor. He's a change agent. I mean, he's the chemo, um, he's the chemo and the cancer all simultaneously. I mean, I accept all of that. But to me, the true chaos is when those who were not willing to accept that he was the duly elected American president and double, tripled, quadrupled down on what? Preserving democracy or protecting their governmental interest. And that, that goes back to the analogy I use a lot about the deck chairs. Here are the deck chairs. The deck chairs are not random. That they're, they're absolutely where they are intended to be, and don't you dare mess with them. What do you mean? Why is that deck chair over there? Because that's where Big Pharma wants that deck chair. Well, why is this deck chair over here in the shade? Well, that's where the insurance companies wanted deck chairs. What about these three deck chairs? That's the military-industrial complex. What about these deck chairs behind me? That's international conglomerates. That's the globalist force. What about these? That's higher education. I mean, all those, all those pieces, all those deck chairs on the deck of the cruise ship are there very intentionally, very, very well designed and exactly where they're supposed to be. And along comes Hurricane Trump. And the, and the boat begins to, you know, kind of sway back and forth and the deck chairs are moving all over the place. And somebody goes, no, 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 no. Everything is here for a reason. We got to stop this. We can't allow this to continue to put at risk these machines and systems that we built and taken advantage of. And, and I don't think people clearly understand how organized that has been. We hear lobbying. We hear moneyed interests. We hear special interests. And this is not partisan in any way, shape, or form. But, but And anybody that said, okay, I kind of like those deck chairs sliding across the deck of the, uh, of the cruise ship. I think it's fun to watch them scramble. I think it's interesting to watch Big Pharma try to put that deal back together and international globalist conglomerates try to figure out a way to move forward. I mean, I kind of like that. But, but the, chaos, the, the chaos is not about Trump and Trump alone. The chaos is about Trump coming, the deck chairs beginning to become like, yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to leave that deck chair or not. This guy may do things a little bit differently than we are accustomed to. And that's why we lost faith in the Republican Party. Now, but they were the party that was supposed to do what? Limit government. Now, but there were going to be fewer deck chairs, 
fewer or, or lesser ability to influence how the um the relationship between government and uh, and commerce was to take place. So so it's not that Trump is on his own a political disruption or chaos candidate. He's one part of causing a reaction, and the reaction has led to uh you know nearly a decade. I mean we're not there yet, but we're heading there. Nearly a decade of political chaos. And it's a battle for the heart and soul of the American political system. So all of a sudden, when a certain percentage of Americans saddle up with Donald Trump and say, I'm for the chaos, I'm for the change, um, you, you've got to be taught a lesson. So somebody shows up at the state house on, excuse me, at the Capitol January 6th with no gun, um, maybe no intent to do harm. I don't know. I don't have any idea what some of these folks' intent was. But, but next thing you know, they're in prison. They're, they're not being afforded due process. They've been overcharged tremendously by some of the, um, I mean, why don't we just say it? We're, we're, in the, we're in the business now of protecting and preserving, and as part of that, we're going to criminalize dissent. Twitter played along. Facebook played along. You're going to have a hard time convincing me the FBI, CIA, and RS aren't playing along. Some of these almighty and all-powerful government agencies said, how can we help? Because you know what they don't want? They don't particularly want those deck chains moved or deck chairs moved around because the FBI has more authority today than it ever has. The IRS has more authority today than it ever has. The CIA has more authority today than it ever has. We got this new agency, Homeland Security, as a result of 9-11. So when 9-11 happens and those buildings fall, what does the government do? It expands its power. And all of a sudden, Rand Paul asked a question five years ago, are you monitoring our emails? Of course not. But Hayden had to come back and apologize. Or Clapper, I think it might have been Clapper. It was Mike Hayden or, or Clapper, one of those intelligence officers or officials, came back and said, I misspoke. I didn't perjure myself. Now, you and I would have perjured ourselves, but he misspoke. And had to come back and clean it up and basically say, yeah, we are monitoring your emails. But, but, but that doesn't surprise me, guys. It doesn't surprise me that government would take advantage of the opportunity afforded to have more power, more influence, more authority. What concerns me and surprises me is how willing half the country has been in allowing that to become norm. How few of us are willing to risk anything. I didn't say it all. How few of us are willing to risk anything by putting our name on a, on a line that says, I'm opposed to this or I'm opposed to that. Um, the silent Trump voter. Why is the silent Trump voter silent? Because he doesn't want the machine to know that he may be for this guy who wants to change and disrupt. The machine may punish you. Sure. I mean, next thing you know, you're getting audited every other year. Or something happens with the FBI. I mean, that's the world we're living in, and we're told to accept it. And, and I hope that's where Jeff and I have some common ground. I mean, I know we disagree on a lot of ideologically driven issues. But I hope we can agree that government should not be weaponized and, and dissent should not be criminalized. And we should try to go back to some sort of restraining of government, this cozy campfire of government that our founders found um, so appealing. But, but it's not that, guys. It's a raging inferno. It's out of control. And if it's not you today, it could be you tomorrow in the crosshairs or a bullseye. You could be barbecuing chickens in your front yard and encounter some government official. You could have your pickup backed up with your trailer and your livelihood associated, but you could be in violation of some city or county ordinance. And, and we've kind of accepted that as reasonable. 
and it's simply not. It absolutely has to be restrained. And half the country are saying, I kind of agree with you, but I, I just don't want no trouble. Let's go to the phone. Tony, Calhoun County, listening to WTQS. Hello, Tony. Hey, good morning. Um, the January 6th guys, they're um, being denied. I mean, where's the judge saying, hey, bring the charge, bring them to court, or let them go? Because this right to a speedy trial thing, I mean, they've been denied it. I mean, some judge should be doing something to either you know, bring the charge or let them go. Um, Thank you, Tony. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I think Tony might have had something else to say, but his um his train of thought <laughs> escaped him. I can relate, <laughs> Tony, very much. Very easy. Um, you have no idea how many times that happens. I've just gotten kind of good at covering <laughs> for that um train of thought being somewhat disrupted. Take a break. Back in a minute. And that is, in essence, my, my complaint. My, it's not a complaint nor a beef. It's just a practical reality of life today in America. You're going to bump into government about every time uh, you do anything. I mean, you just are. And, and we've accepted that. We've normalized that. We've really and truly by now, well, we've traditionalized that in some way, shape, or form. And, um, and it's unfortunate. It's not the way it was intended to be. And... You know, somebody said if I won the billion-dollar lottery, I'd go to the beach and never, you know, have a beer down in my belly and drink beer and smoke dope and, and all these good things. I'm afraid if I won a billion bucks, I'd take the government on. I mean, I, you know, I mean, Elon Musk is kind of doing some of that. I mean, Trump's doing some of that. And that's why we revere those people. I mean, there's an element of society today that sees those folks as doing things that you only wish you could if given the opportunity. I mean, you can't take on government if you're broke. You can't take on government if you're upper middle class. You can't take government on if you're borderline wealthy. I mean, you've got to be stupid rich. You know, you, you've got to have enough money that if they do take a third of your wealth or half of your wealth or punish or penalize you, uh, litigate, money whip. I mean, there's an old saying, you know, you can't fight government, they'll money whip you. I mean, and they will. I mean, they, they, there's a history of that. They'll intimidate. And I just think that's unfortunate that we've normalized a lot of that. So when we see an Elon Musk... And we call him, you know, a conservative crusader. Musk is not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. He just can see government overreach. And I think Musk is honest and sincere enough to say the government should not have been insisting of Twitter certain things be done or not be done. I mean, the government shouldn't insist or require of Facebook to do. I mean, that's just not the role of government. So, and, and once again, you know, I don't know how honest a broker Elon Musk is. I think one of our callers said it a few days or a few weeks ago. You know, the, the Elon Musk, Peter Thiel's of the world scare you because they can be what they choose to be. I mean, Musk can walk to the beat of his own drum because he can walk to the beat of his own drum. Peter Thiel can walk to the beat of his own drum. I mean, you know, there's a personal liberation that comes along with enormous wealth. And those guys aren't upper middle class. They aren't borderline wealthy. I mean, those cats have enough money to live however they choose to live for as long as they choose uh, or as long as the good Lord allows them to live. But, but I think, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, if, if you're Elon Musk and you're worth multiple billions of dollars, I mean, we can argue how much he's worth because it's all based on the value of stock, you know, in Tesla and SpaceX. But I'm he ain't worried about buying a cheeseburger today. I can assure you <laughs> that. And he's not worried about whether he can get through Christmas this year or not. But, but that guy should be living in the south of France on a yacht somewhere with, you know, 25 virgins. Instead, he's fighting the good fight. You know what I mean? He, he's out there um, devoting a lot of his energy and time to SpaceX, 
and and Tesla, and he's also, and in my humble opinion, serving a, a a very legitimate purpose in identifying where free speech has been, um, you know, impeded, thwarted. Um, that's a big deal. I mean, I can't do that. You can't do that. Hardly anybody can. So, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk because once again, what what government wishes he would do is take his Tesla SpaceX money and keep doing what it is he does. But Musk saw a problem in society, and he, he's kind of a free speech absolutist, and he's willing apparently to lose a lot. I don't even go down that hill, but he's apparently willing to lose a lot of money, you know, in in favor of that. I mean, how many of you would do that if you had a billion bucks? I mean, how many how many of you would go to the beach, or how many would you? more vigorously engage in the debate of free speech or the right to keep and bear arms, whatever um, these things that matter a lot to, to kind of the, um, I don't know, the DNA of America, so to speak. Enjoy your day. We'll talk again tomorrow.